welcome back to Exile on Bad Street as we take a, yet another walk on the wild side. It's been two months, but we're back. And we got two months of wild side to talk about. June and July 2001, which is uh, probably two of the greatest months of the promotion's history. And uh, we'll definitely get into that as we go along the show. I'm your host, Chris Zollner, and on these shows, always joined by the leader of the NWA elite and prominently featured in this show in many ways, Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, welcome back. Always a pleasure to be here, Chris. Two months has been too long when we've got all this great stuff to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're joined by one of the voices of Wildside in this era and a man who is... Uh, Come back with a vengeance in the wrestling world in the last two months. <laughs> I tell you what, yeah, we're going to talk about that later on in the show when we get to the plugs. But yes, we are joined by the leader of Dragon's Rejects, the Reverend Dan the Dragon Wilson. Dan, welcome back. Hello, yes, I, I have been popping up in various locales across these United States. A uh, lot busier than I expected to be, but glad to be, glad to be on the show, and glad to talk about some of my also favorite time periods of Wildside. This is the period where me and Jeff really started getting a, a healthy influence on the matchmaking. I think it was just because Bill and Steve were busy maybe fighting with each other or fighting various other battles. So we would just like come up with a bunch of ideas and write the TV and then kind of get there okay. And of course, you would see this phase out pretty quickly because as either one of them wanted to take a greater control on the booking, they just would and would tell us to fuck off. But <laughs> at least for a couple of months here, you do get a pretty healthy influence of being Jeff's daily phone call bullshit sessions are, are pretty much the booking. Yeah, you can definitely tell kind of a, a difference here as June and July move on and... Uh, yeah, I mean, Wildside was already, you know, really damn good, but it just, it seems like it's peaking at this point in time. And the WCW bullshit's over with, and every, everybody's stable, pretty much, in the in, in the promotion. And, yeah, it's just, it, you got the big show coming up, Freedom Fight, which we'll talk about. So, this is when you want it to be done. You got your big show, you want to get that ready, and... And then the aftermath, and yeah, we're going to get into all of that. So uh, let's get going. As we go to the June 2nd, 2001 TV episode, where uh, Dan and Steve Prezak uh, opened the show. to about the number two promotion, but the number one alternative. We end up a wild side. They announced the tournament to crown the NWA Wildside TV champion. We'll continue on this week's show, where you, Dan, showed off the title belt and plug Freedom Fight. Jason Cross beat Dango Win in the first round of the Wild Side TV title match. Borash, Jeremy Borash, joined Prezak on commentary here. They emphasize that unlike other promotions, Wild Side follows through on their stipulations. Larry Goodman uh, got this report to us here, and this is one of the, the few things Larry has on this show, sadly. As we didn't have as much of, of Larry on this show as we did last show. Larry really liked this match. Good psychology, lots of good spots. The first exchange in with reversing security by Cross. They exchanged again until Wynn connected on a standard drop kick. Wynn set Cross spinning with a lariat. Wynn used some cool moves, work on the shoulder of Cross. Prezet mentioned the recent departure of Silky Boom Boom as a result of a Loser Leaves Wild Side match against Wynn. 
Prezak said wrestling retirements are usually so damn short. Borash said Verangana was the exception. I guess you forgot about Jeff Briscoe. Uh, Wynn hit a back six suplex, crossing onto the road, set off a whip, caught Wynn with a rolling cradle. Cross got near falls off a flip, leg drop, brain buster. Cross used a lucha mat hold, where he twisted Wynn up like a pretzel. Jeff G. Bailey came out on the ramp and did a little scouting. Praise that called Jeff a waste of flesh. <laughs> Wynn made a comeback with a sunset flip, heel kick, drop kick. Cross counter with a beautiful leg layer for a two count. Cross got down near fall with a split limb moonsault. Cross missed huge on a shooting star leg drop. Win went back to the shoulder. Cross right the eyes to referee Speedy Nelson into ability by a suplex by a blinded win. Speedy took a lot of punishment on this show. Well, on this uh, episode, actually. Cross uh, used a hurricanrana. Win applied a cross arm breaker on that weakened shoulder. Cross was tapping out, but no referee received submission. When Win went, trying to try saying that five times fast to revive Nelson, Cross scored with a thrust kick for the pen. All right, Jeff, you're scouting Jason Cross here. And uh, Jason Cross, uh, this is the beginning of what would be a uh, interesting uh, arc for Jason Cross on this show. So, uh, yeah, he's he's been around for a little bit, and now is his time to shine, so to speak. Yeah, he's in the tournament. He's out here as a wrestler, not so much as a babyface or a heel, just as Jason Cross with the people kind of, you know, getting to know him again and uh obviously super talented guy so i come out to to take a peek and he also of course has a link in the past to my newest guys adam jacobs and john phoenix as he was also a founding member of suicidal tendencies so uh a lot to look at with jason here right now absolutely dan um Who's pushing for Jason here the most to uh, to get a shine? Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, yeah, for sure. Jeff Jeff saw the promise in Jason Cross very early. I mean, it was pretty obvious to see he was a special talent. He was a guy that had had some stops and starts in the company. He really hadn't had anything consistent, but, you know, we kind of sat down and had the quote-unquote come to Jesus with him that, like, you know, if you you want us to do anything with you of substance you need to be consistent you need to be on time and you need to not miss shows etc cetera, etc cetera. and he agreed and uh the sky was the limit this was just the very beginning but yeah it, jeff jeff knew what was up and i think it was supposed to be presented that he could be scouting either one of them because I, I do think if he was just like just scouting jason it does kind of make the ending a little more obvious but maybe not Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, next match was Blackout, Homicide, and Rain Man with the rest of the usual suspects, Caprice Coleman and Sweet Dreams. Going to miss TNT, Todd Sexton and Tony Stradlin. Larry Goodman said this match sitting on the elevation of both teams out of TV jobber status. The work was fine, especially by TNT. Now they just look like jobbers. <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, Prezak said that Sex and Australian were trained by Shawn Michaels in San Antonio. True. TNT controlled the early going with fast tax double teams. Wilson pointed out that both teams worked well as units. Blackout got control of their sit-out jawbreaker by Rain Man. Blackout came back with double teams on their own. Uh, heat on Todd Sexton used to swing a DDT to get the tag to Tony. Tony clean house on blackout. Then Sexton used a springboard bulldog. Stradlin connected with a senton to back a rain man whose body was balanced on the ropes. While Sexton covers, Stradlin did a suicide dive that cleared the ropes with plenty to spare on dreams of homicide. Uh, 
With Andrew Thomas occupied by the action on the floor, Coleman snuck in for the thermal shock on Sexton. Praise that was straight up by the fact that Coleman didn't hit it cleanly. Eh, it happens. It happens a lot in, on, on this, uh, this episode of Exxon on Bass Street, but we... Hey, it is what it is. Coleman dragged Rayman on top of Sexton for the pin. The posse put the boots to TNT until Jimmy Raven Laz made the save. Yeah, Dan, I mean, we're going to have a lot more on these tag teams as we go along. But yes, this is a, this is a, a beginning of a golden age of tag teams in NWA Wildside. And these two teams from the forefront of that. It is. They really freshened up the roster. Right? We saw a lot of opportunity with guys who were young guys on the roster kind of making waves on Friday nights to either elevate existing tag teams or put them together in the case of Tony and Todd and make them a tag team. And uh, it really ended up being a great thing. This is the first of many, many matches between TNT and Blackout, among others. But it really reshaped the entire roster. There's this youth movement here in the, the under and middle card and in the tag team division that is really freshening things up. Absolutely. Now, Jeff has noted it in here, of course, that we talked about before, that uh, Tony and Todd were trained by Shawn Michaels. So they came into the promotion with a different type of pedigree than everybody else in the promotion. Did you sense any difference in how they went about things from the others that had been there for a while and came through the uh, the other ways? No, not really. I mean, because everybody was fighting for a spot. And I mean, TNT, like um, Larry says here, Blackout, but both of these guys, teams came in as basically enhancement teams to put over other teams and uh, started growing into their role. And honestly, I got to say, I was surprised by how good this first match was. I mean, I know how good these matches become, but this was their first match out there. And um, it was pretty solid for, uh, for their first match. And I think that, uh, I think Tony and Todd had something. And I think, you know, people were like, wow, they were trained by Shawn Michaels. That's pretty cool. I mean, I think uh, that definitely carried some weight. Oh, I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Rick Michaels beat Terry Knight with Steve Martin. In the final first round match of the TV title tournament, it was supposed to be Eddie Golden in this spot, but he no showed. So Martin said Golden was in Hollywood doing a commercial. Hollywood, Florida, maybe, said Borash. Martin reminded the fans that he turned on Michaels in that very ring, a scene which turned into a wild side TV classic. I mean, we talked about that on a previous episode of Exile. Michaels wrestled a pure babyface style. Prazak says some WWE personnel considered Michaels to be one of the best indie talents around. Prazak mentioned that Knight had the record for the longest reign as NWA national champion. He put Knight over as an old-school guy who also incorporated the latest innovations to his style. Too bad Knight's matches rarely generate any heat. This one sure didn't. <laughs> Knight started with a series of right hands. Michaels came back with left hands, leading to a Thez press and more lefts. Michaels took over with offense and featured a series of arm drags. Did the first time it dropped another arm drag. As Knight ran the roast, Michaels dropped down and went for a blind leapfrog. Knight caught him with a back suplex. Nice move. Knight dumped Michaels to the floor where Martin got into cheap shot kicks. Back in the ring, Knight worked on the neck in the back of Michaels. Knight applied a figure four chin lock. Michaels got dumped again, and Martin threw him into the wooden barricade. Michaels was doing some serious selling now. Knight bumped to the floor with Michaels' whip reversal. Martin diverted referee speeding Nelson's attention while Knight sandwiched Michaels' head in the chair for an elbow smash. Knight used a swing of net breaker, and Michaels could barely stand up. 
Knight went for seconds. Does that ever work? But Michaels, who has been playing possum, caught him with a knee to the gut and Triple H face buster. Michaels followed up with a Jake Roberts short, uh, style short arm clothesline. He tapped Nuss on the arm with a super kick that Larry's grandmother would be ashamed to sell. <laughs> Nelson went down like a ton of bricks. Nice swung a chair at Michaels, who ducked it and landed the drop kick. As Michaels wouldn't use the chair, Martin snuck in for a low blow. Knight clothesline Michaels to the chair and climbed top rope. And then we had the laughter of the sinister minister, which brought Knight to a halt. Steve Martin, I'm watching you. A confused-looking Knight went to consult with Martin. Michaels surprised Knight with a double shot for the three count. All right, Jeff. My, Rip Michaels is now firmly as a babyface again. And uh, he's changed his look, different haircut and everything. Him and David Young have pretty much split, as we'll talk about as we go along here. So what do you think about what Prezat was saying about uh, Michaels and his uh, stature among the indie talents in the country, as uh, talked about by some WWF personnel? I uh, I particularly like this run of Rick and the way he was wrestling and his promo style and his attitude. I thought uh, it had a little more force and a little more gravitas behind it. Um, I thought, man, his Thez Press was about as nice looking a Thez Press as I've seen anybody do since Tommy Rich. That thing really looked good. Um, I think that uh, Rick was a really remarkable talent, and I think he's um, he's about to find a groove that's one of his better grooves that he has over um, the wild side span here with the uh, the rub from Jim Mitchell that's coming and the stuff with that. I think uh, I think really Rick really picks his game up here, starting right here. Absolutely, yeah, and 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 Dan, you know, Rick needed that fresh coat of paint. And, and David did, too, in his own way. So what were your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree with all of that. I think this, as far as Ben Ring, this was the best stuff of his career starting around here. He'd gotten himself in really good shape. And, uh, you know, like Jeff said, was just delivering things with a little extra oomph. And um, and I, I think it was time. Like Bad Attitude had ran its course. You know, they'd won the World Tag Team titles four times, according to Wildside Lore. <laughs> uh, and they had uh, both, you know, main evented in various capacities as singles prior to that. So it's like it's time to freshen it up. So we do the formal Bad Attitude split coming here. And it's, it's more like something that kind of devolves so I, I kind of liked that, that it was more the circumstances that kind of drifted them apart as opposed to just a specific, like, he turned on him angle, you know. I, I thought it was a little more realistic that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Jeff, where was Eddie Golden on this night? Do you remember what the deal was? Um, I don't think Eddie Golden's going to be back in the building again. Um, he had already moved over to Steve's group, so it wasn't my thing to worry about. So I really don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I believe this was the end of Eddie and Jesse here. Like that was, this was pretty much their swan song. I don't believe they're going to be back after this, but uh, I guess we'll see because my memory's not the best. So, yeah. But I think this was it. I mean, like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I, maybe Dan has a recollection of something, but I, I have zero memory of why this ended up with those guys finishing up. No, I don't know. I, I didn't really get a lot of information on that. I just was informed by uh, Bill, I guess, that they 
they weren't going back after that. So I don't know what, what happened exactly. <laughs> Times change. Time to move on. All right. Uh, AJ Styles beat John Phoenix with Adam Jacobs and Jeff G. Bailey in the main event. This is a rematch of the previous taping where Phoenix uh, wrestled even though he was sick as a dog. He looked way better here. The basic thing was Styles facing what amounted to be 4-on-1 the situation. Styles charged and Phoenix punched away. Great athleticism in the sequence and it was a Styles hurricane rana. Phoenix took a powder. While Jacobs distracted Styles, Phoenix then would have formed to the back. Phoenix took Styles' head off with a spin kick. Styles came back with uh, the off-the-chest moonsault into the belly belly suplex. Styles scored with a high backdrop and clothesline Phoenix to the floor. Styles faked the dive that scared the heels in all directions. Styles brought Phoenix back in the hard way. When Styles got went to the roast, Jacobs was waiting on the apron with a kick to the back. Phoenix followed a truck kick to the face. While Phoenix took over the match, Wildside called Andrew Thomas I hyena and complained that Bill Barons refused to revoke his referee's license. But he's the heel ref. Styles sort of super kick that miss. Bad camera angle. Styles came with a drop kick laying on his feet and a baseball slide to the temple. Phoenix was outside again. Phoenix caught Styles off guard a little blow drop kick. Thomas smirked. Wilson started going berserk on the mic, so Fred's I told him to get back on his meds. <laughs> Dan, you would never do such a thing. Phoenix used a vast suplex to drop two elbows before getting a two count with an arrogant cover. Phoenix hit a brain buster. Phoenix went to the top, but Styles brought him off with a slam. Styles flipped Phoenix to a face pin out of a crucifix powerbomb position. Awesome move. Styles covered, but Bailey put Phoenix's foot on the ropes while Thomas watched. Styles missed on a senton bomb as the show closed. And the uh, next week would have the finish of that match. So, uh, yeah. So, anyway, at the end of the... Larry's thoughts on the whole show here. Um, As I scroll back down, I scrolled up by mistake. Quite a switch from the last episode with the focus moving back to the wrestling. TV title tournament field was trimmed to four. Cross Michaels, Jacobs, and David Young. There were no promos. And the only angle to speak of was continuation of the Minister Stalking Steve Martin storyline. All right, so what was the finish of the match, Jeff? They didn't show it the following week. They didn't show it. That's what I was saying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Steve would, I mean, the continuity <laughs> of some of this editing as I watch this stuff is really frustrating. And uh, this one really bothered me because because I don't know what happened. Um, you don't remember? No. No, I, I will assume that we probably beat him down at the end of the match. I mean, <laughs> this is a good guess. I don't know. Yeah, I'd it's, say we either did a heel finish or Schmoz did out, but, you know, without without knowing, it, it is very frustrating. I mean, can you, can you, I mean, it's like, we'll show you this on the next week, and then they just don't. Yes. I mean, shit like that, just, you know. <laughs> it pisses on your fans. You know, I mean, if you're going to promise it, you got to deliver it. Yes. You got to do, you can't, you can't, you can't tease that and then don't, don't uh, show it the next week. It's just, that's not good. Not good for business. But Dan, uh, Larry said there's more wrestling on this episode of television and the promos and angles were cut down. So that is that part of the influence that you and Jeff are having now to put a little more emphasis on what's going on in the ring. 
I think just, you know, it's it's accentuating what is working and hiding what isn't. And, you know, what is working is we got a guys that can a lot of guys that can really work their asses off right now. And when they do, people talk about it. So why don't we have them do that more? Um that that was a big thing. And like we were also in the, the process of getting to the next big show. So you've got to be careful about overdoing the angles. You gotta put the angles in the right spots. Um so I just you know, I think it was the right time to to interject more wrestling. Absolutely. Yes. And made the T V better in that way as well. All right. T V taping that night on June the second. And we have Larry here for this. NWA Wildside take two hours of angle-driven television at the NCW Arena last night as they started to build towards the War Games show on June 30th. In light of the recent talent losses, the booking went with a strategy of pushing storyline development and the surprise return of two familiar faces. Judges for crowd response, nothing bombed, and most of it went over strongly. Bill Barron's opened the show with the announcement that New Jack would return to Bumpers in Athens on June 27th for some more slicing and dicing in a rematch with David Young. Barron's introduced the announced team of Steve Prezak, Dan Dragon Wilson, who would make a better partner than Jim Ross than Paul Lee, and Jeremy Borash, the man who single-handedly pushed WCW past the brink of bankruptcy. <laughs> oh, me. All right, our opening match, Cross. Over Sean Alexander, 322. Short but hot match. Alexander and Cross worked together very smoothly. They went right to the floor and exchanged stiff blows. Alexander used a DVD variation for two count. Cross used an implant DDT. Good punches by Cross. Alexander used a form of urinagi for another two count. Cross won it with a crucifix powerbomb. Cross has better size than most of the Wildside crew. He looks like a lot of potential. They can figure out what to do with him. And Dan, we talked about Cross on uh, previous episodes of this show. This match doesn't make TV, but he does have a match coming up that does make TV. And yeah, it's just you see him and you're like, man, this guy's this guy's got the look and everything, but yeah, just nothing, nothing happens with him. Yeah, uh, he well, we end up putting him in an angle, but he didn't end up sticking around. He he ended up going back. I guess it was a long drive. I think we kind of talked about this a little bit in a previous previous episode. Yeah. He had kind of. Other reasons that he didn't really plan on being a full timer, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, uh, both these guys were Carolina guys. Alexander had been in a few times before, and just you know, one of these dark matches to get looks at guys that we're going to potentially use. Yeah, that's the way it goes. And speaking of our next match, Tank beat Drew Delight in six twenty three. Tank wore a t shirt labeled Psychiatric Ward. Delight did a good job establishing himself as the heel. Tank dominated the match. Tank doesn't have a great look, but he's a deceptively good worker. Delight used a drop, low drop kick to dump Tank to the floor. Delight posted Tank. Delight hit a dive. Tank slammed Delight into the barricade. Suplex him on the floor and did the Mick Foley run up off the apron. Tank used a normal life suplex and flying up off the top. For the finish, Tank slung Delight over his shoulder and dropped him on his head off, to a run, off a run and start. Emerald Frozen. From the angle Larry had, it looked like a pretty brutal move. Oh, I'm sure it was. Well, here we go, Jeff. Tank has entered into Bay Wildside. And it's never the same again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't remember how much we've talked about this before on the show, but um, Dan had talked about Tank. I think Tank was called, like, Tank Norton or something. And uh, he's like, they did this really bloody cage match with him and Bobby Hayes, 
and stuff. And I said, well, get me a copy of it. Let me look at it. And I did. And it was really bloody. So we, we talked Bill into, into bringing Tank in and stuff. And, uh, you know, Tank got over. And uh, the rest is history from there. But uh, this match didn't air, did it? Nope. I don't recall. It did not air. So um, his first match did not air. But uh, I Tank did that uh, that elbow drop off the apron. And then he did it a second time. Because, I mean, we were egging him on, of course, to do it. And then, you know, after that second time, he was like, fuck y'all guys. I'm not doing it. <laughs> it hurts. <laughs> now, Dan, of course, you and Tank go way, way back. Um, thank God that you had the the sense to, you know, get Bill and say, hey, we got to bring this guy in and stuff. Because, I mean, he becomes such an integral part to the history of the promotion after that. Did you think that Tank would have that kind of impact when he first came in? I mean, I'd hope so, but no. I mean, I was just trying to get my buddy a spot, you know? Like, I mean, I believed in him. Like, I believed he was good, you know, and, and could fill the role for sure. But, you know, to see him become, like, the legend that he has, no, I I didn't expect that at all. So there's a little more context out of this. This was a two-night deal. He originally was only booked to come in on Friday and try out on Friday, and him and Drew Delight came down, and with kind of the caveat that if they did well, they may get a dark match on TV. So they come on Friday, they do the match, everybody loves it, he does the elbow off the apron that Jeff mentioned, the Cactus Jack elbow, and uh, that really impresses Jeff and Steve Martin, and so he does get invited back to do the same match on TV the next, or, or as a dark match for TV the next day. And they do. It's great. And it's so great that we're immediately starting to come up with ideas for Tank. Like, and, and so that purposefully wasn't used because there was a whole different storyline that we ended up coming up with to bring him in on TV that we will get to here in just a moment. That's right, yes. Drew Delight. That's a name that I'm sure some fans know. Uh, talk about Drew Delight, Dan. You know him pretty well as well. Yeah, he was a guy, uh, I think he was originally out of the Knoxville area. He was on one of the first shows I ever worked as a manager for Ron West in, like, Athens, Tennessee. So I've known Drew Delight for a long fucking time. Um, he's a guy that had great success, like, in the middle of the card in a lot of different places. He's a guy that, in, in North Carolina, you know, at that NACW promotion that had quite a bit of TV for a while. He was fairly pushed for a while. But a great dude, great talent. Uh, ended up going on to promote Empire Wrestling mm -hmm. out of Rossville, Georgia, which was... Uh, a great show and he's just you know he's a guy that he has a love-hate relationship with the wrestling business like i think we all do in some ways but so he comes and goes a lot but uh but man always happy when he's around good dude yeah in the early days of uh the cnc invitational i mean empire was a uh big reason for all that you know being a success as su successful as it was so uh definitely uh yeah Name from uh, the recent past, so to speak, uh, on here in the show. All right, next we get another match here with uh, the TV. Mike Shaw and Largus Black beat Shooter Scott Stewart and the Platinum Kid 
in seven minutes. This group was in from NWA Southwest. Platinum's a very small, but has tremendous uh, speed and fire. Stewart should consider a name change. He's about the greenest, most time shooter you can imagine. He really didn't belong in there with the others. Chow and Black controlled most of the match. They looked good on offense. At one point, Chow used a Mitchell driver and Black followed a moonsault for a close two count. They did a nice spot where Chow, where Chow, it says chaos, counter kids rocker dropper a tip with a power bomb. Fans groan and kid messed up bad on the floor on the 450 splash. I guess it is chaos. Chaos, Mike Chaos, I guess. But Chaos used a leg drop off the top on Kid. Black finished him with some kind of twisting suplex move. And these guys were never heard from again. <laughs> this is what we talked about before, Dan, about uh, you know Bill bringing in these guys from other NWA groups or whatever and giving them a chance to work on uh, these shows and dark matches and see what they can do. Yeah, and I definitely smoked that brain cell away a long time ago. <laughs> like, I don't remember a fucking, not a second of that match existing. <laughs> and, you know, hey, it, it's a, it, you, you, you get what's going on here, Jeff, of, of why Bill's doing this. But, again, it, this is kind of taken away from the locals, isn't it? Well, I mean, to a certain extent, yes. And, you know, when guys would come in from one of the other NWA promotions and they weren't good, of course, we'd feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, God, they're not any good. But when somebody came in and was good and had a good match, you know, you you were happy. Like, oh, cool, we got to showcase one of these other NWA promotions. Because, I mean, as... I talked about frequently on the TV. I considered Wildside the crown jewel of the NWA, and and that was honestly because I thought most of the other promotions were trash. So when somebody <laughs> showed up from another promotion and had a good match, it was good for the NWA, which it was good for Wildside. It was good for the TV show. No, I mean we we really we it's hard to believe it from some of the things we say on the show but we really all were in you know fully on this NWA thing like wanting you know to to sell the idea of the NWA and all that it's just so many of the other people involved in it were incompetent i couldn't not point that out nor could dan or prazak not point that out i mean but we were still you know waving that NWA banner as best we could do you think there was any heat from these other NWA promoters when their guys would go in and, you know, have a match and they're expecting it to be possibly on television and it doesn't air? Was there any heat coming off of them about that you guys ever heard of? I'm sure they were disappointed and probably sometimes mad. But, I mean, unless the match was bad, Bill would say, let's try and air as much of it as we can to to help out the other promotion. So, I mean, this match didn't read terrible, and I certainly have zero recollection of it. But, uh, you know, Steve would thwart Bill in these things sometimes and just not air it just to get back at Bill. I mean, some of the petty stuff that was going on between those two that, that you know, as Dan said, that me and him, you know, kind of got in the middle of and got to have a little – chance to put some of this stuff together because they were so busy squabbling with each other and uh that's just how it shook out but uh i was never anti the nwa guys coming in except for when they sucked and then i was like hey let's not air that 
Dan, what's it like being, you know, being in a situation where you have the two bosses like Steve Martin and Bill Barron's having their conflicts and having to be in the middle of it? Uh, it's frustrating and it's stressful, but at the time I was just so goddamn happy to, to be there that I just <laughs> considered it part of of the job. You know, I, I something that I would roll my eyes about, and me and Jeff would cuss about it. You know, when we were bullshitting, but like you know, it didn't stop me from wanting to do the job or be there. Um, it, it would really get frustrating in the editing when when they would kind of go back and forth, and and Steve would just take stuff out. Um, but this stuff is going to go on up until Bill buys him out, which isn't well into the next year. So unfortunately, uh, we're, we're not anywhere near being through this part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Next we get white trash over Mr. Delicious, Jason North. <laughs> yes. Jason North in six Oh five. This announced a no DQ match. You know, Hey, yeah. Real quick, Chris, I think the reason I actually think this may have been a Bill call, it was one of two things. Either Bill got his name wrong, because that's what it was on the format. I noticed I called him Jason North on commentary. You and Praise that both? Yes. Yeah, so it was on the format that way. So either it was a Vince McMahon thing, and because we already had a JC Daz, we didn't want him to be JC North, (laughs) or he just heard it wrong and just called him Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, either or, I could definitely say. No DQ match, Trash had a stop sign, so North went and got a chair. North said he wanted to wrestle, so Trash agreed to dish the weapons. Trash used an atomic and reverse atomic drops. North did a funny face first bump out of the corner at their clothesline. Trash threw some stinging chops. North went to the floor where Trash caught him with a baseball slide. North got thrown over the barricade. Stiff slaps by Trash for throwing North back into the ring. So much for the wrestling. North smashed the chair in the Trash stop sign. Trash took a bump to the floor. North did a cool looking suicide dive over the top rope. Back in the ring, North brought Trash off the top with a cross arm slam, the iconoclasm. North took control of the match. They missed the leg drop off the top. North went for the sign, and Trash ducked it. Trash got North for the Elka Bong for the pin. And Larry knows that North has a flair for comedy. <laughs> yes, uh, this is a show where we're going to have a lot of Jason North. It's going to be Jason North uh, on the show, our dear friend Matt Griffin. And uh, it's it was good to see him, you know, get the spotlight here. And him and Lance Dreamer, Delicious Dreams. Uh, they did really well in this little run here. What were your thoughts on them, Jeff? Um, I never understood why Lance Dreamer wasn't a bigger star. I mean, he looked like fucking Kip Winger. Oh, his hair was luxurious. <laughs> I mean, I really thought, my God, this pretty motherfucking baby face. We should be, but I mean, he just, he never connected with the people in a way to, to be as, over as as his look was i mean i thought he was overlooking as fuck but and i mean he got moderately over you know as a mid-card tag team guy and stuff but uh man for a kip winger looking motherfucker he uh he did not go as high as i thought um mr d of course like uh larry noted showed off his comedy stuff right here and it's his first time in and stuff i mean his tights say mr delicious on them for fuck's sake um 
And he's got like the sweater sweater wrapped around, you know, yeah. right around him. Yeah. Right. That's right. I forgot that obnoxious sweater. <laughs> a jerk thing. And and, and, and it's a it's a great those two complement each other because Lance has that luxurious hair and JC has no hair. <laughs> and Lance has a you know, has the body and the look, the facial hair, and JC looks like powder <laughs> so well we already had powder that was Todd but yeah. <laughs> yeah but um yeah no Jason looked like a human penis <laughs> he did he did he did and <laughs> that was the gimmick we played it up he's not gonna be offended he he loved that that part of it we we had a, a lot of fun with that a lot of laughs Oh yeah, a penisida. Oh, penisida, yes, yes. Um, so yeah, good, good stuff there. All right, Adam Jacobs are in the ring, accompanied by Jeff G. Bailey for a scheduled TV title tournament match against Rick Michaels. Bailey said we were looking for at the next NWA Wildside, no NWA World Television Champion. Bailey said his men are taking care of Air Paris, AJ Styles, and Onyx, and now it's time for Michaels to take a beating. Michaels' music played, but the original chosen one did not appear. Bailey said Michaels was a stinking yellow dog and the man of the 10 count. Andrew Thomas reached five when Michaels started crawling down the ramp, his forehead gushing with blood. Thomas rapid fired the rest of the count and called for the bell before Michaels reached the ring. Big heat on Jacobs and Bailey, including a Bailey Blows Goats chant. Barons and some Michaels trainees joined NCW security helping Michaels to the back. And Rick had been attacked outside the building. And that's why, and, and you see it on TV. He's struggling out there near his, near, near some vehicles out there. And, uh, then it get, which the fans didn't know that. And then he comes in through the stage area, not through the, the door. So this is just the beginning of the Adam Jacobs TV tournament, uh, thing here that we got going on. But, uh, yeah, good, good angle, Jeff, to, uh, to, to continue what's going on here. It was a heat stravaganza. I mean, <laughs> the heat was blazing. I, I really thought somebody might come over the rail. There was, I mean, even with our terrible sound, you can just hear some of the curses coming from the crowd and stuff. I mean, they are genuinely pissed off. And I mean, now this is the second match that Adam has won in the TV title tournament without having to wrestle. So the heat is just stacking on top of itself. And uh, my God, it was red hot. I love this. I love this. It was, it was even better watching it now than I remembered it. Cause you could just hear how mad the people were. Oh yeah. And, it's noted here at, at in Larry's post notes, and I'm going to mention it now, Dan, uh, Dan, that attendance is gone up in the building up to 120, around 120, because there is a new setup. There are bleachers up close to the ring on the side of the hard camera faces. And one of our favorites was in his group was part of that, Norco. And Norco, you can see Norco on TV all the time. You know, just giving shit to the heels and stuff. So, wh how how different is the ambiance of the building now that there are little bleachers there near the stage area? It's quite a bit better. I uh, I appreciated 
when we did that because I really felt like it livened the broadcast up. I always felt like the audience was too far away. I don't think that that was my idea specifically. I think it was Andrew's idea to switch it up because we were just trying to think of things to enhance the TV production. You know, Bill was pounding it into our heads that especially when the crowds were low that, you know, the crowds might be low, but it's a TV show. We're doing it for a TV audience. So it's more than just the people here. So like me and Andrew, would you know often try to think and trash and jeff as well we're all kind of part of that crew of different things we could do to liven the production up and i do believe it was andrew's idea to try to and uh, i think bill even had some input on this to try to you know move the seating arrangement around a little bit make it a little more intimate look and intense looking um and norco and his crew uh that this is around the time they first started coming and they added a lot of excitement and enthusiasm because you know you have to cycle those crowds in and out every so often like we had been playing to the same audience that had been there pretty much since wild side started so they'd seen everything under the sun and this newer more modern style of wrestling they weren't really digging as much so having norco and his crew kind of started where it was like a cool place for younger wrestling fans to come hang out and that's where we kind of started getting some love from sort of the smart wrestling fans and uh it, it really started a whole thing so you know rest his soul man he was a great dude and and uh his fandom really meant a lot to the promotion yeah and and jeff it's noticeable that you see on tv they would show crowd shots that there's some some people in the crowd that just you know that are in let's say their 40s and whatever and they're sitting there you know just sitting there oh yeah just watch and then you see norco and, and his crew and some others they're like just yeah, you know, they're so into the show, and it's quite the dichotomy to watch, you know, to watch the different fan bases on this same television show react totally differently to what's going on. Those guys really played a huge part in, you know, getting blackout over immediately by their reactions to them. Oh, my God, yes with them and stuff and it made them seem important immediately because i mean blackout had just been out there and got beat a couple times but now they're out here you know hooked up with caprice and dreams and are starting to move up and uh you know once they start getting their opportunity and we haven't even heard murder one talk yet so i mean you know they're they're just on the come up and i think you know norco and the south atlanta boys you know reaction to them really gave them you know some gravitas where people paid attention to them quicker than they might have because they obviously had heat oh yes all right bailey came out again this time with the cole brothers bailey offered to put the wild side tag titles on the line against those drug addled drunken losers total destruction and for the junkyard of genetic damage cases that is the NCW arena. Everyone knew they weren't there due to the lack of empty beer cans in the parking lot. Bailey claimed the fans came to see the magnificent all-natural bodies of the Coles, unlike Onyx, who has to stick a needle in his ass. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey asked for somebody to come out for a title shot. Well, t- two wild side trainees came out. Kid Cool and Kid Ecstasy. Septilea Saranaro. Bailey was in hysterics. Cool got dumped. Cole, Cole's wasted exit with a double clothesline and the Cole shot. Bailey asked if that was all. Watson had the offer because the Coles didn't even break a sweat. So here goes the platoon. Sergeant Hardner and Corporal Cooter. They challenged him. Coles made quick work of Cooter with a double sh- shoulder tackle and another Cole shot. 
Bailey called for an end to the embarrassing humiliation when Twisted and Marky Mark came to the ring. Mark took a gut wrist suplex double face buster. Coles were ready to dispose of Mark when the appearance of David Flair was greeted to a huge pop. The Coles stopped in their tracks. Flair stood ringside laughing at the Coles while playing to his, with his crotch. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he actually wasn't playing with his crotch, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, Twisted and Mark caught the Coles in stereo schoolboys and referee Speedy Nelson made a lightning fast three count. Flair celebrated while Bailey threw a fit. Really good use of the enhancement talent. It was not made clear in the building, but the titles did not change hands. Now, on TV, they aired on June the 9th, and after this happened, Bailey yelled the Coles for losing the match in the back, and they said they had enough of him, and they wanted to talk to Steve. Bailey yelled about how he made them champions as they left. Trouble in paradise, Jeff, as we'll find out here with the Coles uh, as we move along, but... Twisted and Marky Mark. Yes, they're about to uh, be in for their uh, the push of their life here. Yes, they are. And uh, my God, some of the bumps they take, maybe not in this one, but I remember in one of the later ones with the Coles, I mean, like Gabriel gets like suplexed on the floor so hard where I just kind of cringe like, oh, my God. But I mean, <laughs> those guys came in and I mean, my gosh, you know, with the rub of Jim Mitchell, which they'll get later, I mean, they were instantly over. And uh, they had been training. And, you know, we'd seen Marky Mark out there for a while. And, uh, man, they suddenly were having great matches. And, uh, you know, much like Blackout and TNT, they all studied tag team wrestling. They all wanted to innovate new moves. I mean, these three teams really helped pave the road for this this next generation of Wildside. And uh, this is the birth of the Lost Boys right here, getting a huge win over the Coles. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about the the full change when the when we get to it. But Dan, I mean, when you do an angle like this where you're ch- doing the open challenge and you get two of the job guys or whatever young guys out there and they get this type of victory on, uh, on the big bad heels. It's one of those angles that, you know, it's so easy and, uh, and it worked, worked really good here. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's done a thousand times and a thousand different ways in the history of wrestling from the Mulkies to Barry Horowitz. But here, uh, it actually did something that those angles did not. And which was elevate these guys into something bigger and better for the long haul. And they continued an upward trajectory. And, uh, you know, Marky Mark was a guy who had really worked hard on house shows. He's just, he looked like absolute dog shit. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, what are you going to do with this guy? He just looks like a guy that would bag your groceries at Walmart or maybe bum a cigarette from you at the gas station. He does not look like a star. So the, the whole addition of like m- making him into Azrael really like helped him find his confidence as a performer as well. Like, so this is all a, a really awesome and special time. Oh yeah. All right. Next we get Jimmy Rave at TNT, Tony and Todd be- uh, being Caprice Coleman and blackout with sweet dreams in nine fifty. Coleman came out with Rave's wild side junior title belt. He said he was protecting the belt because Rave was a crackhead. It's a good thing, Coleman said. No comment. Coleman claimed Bill Barron's had gotten Raven out of the hospital many times. 
Coleman ran through his tagline with the assistance of Brother Dreams. Coleman told Dan Wilson that he needed a car with a peppermint airbag for that dragon breath. Is that why they called you the dragon, Dan? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Fuck. (laughs) Coleman started a match, but tagged out without locking up. That lady was back at ringside again with her plastic rat and stuffed monkey. Coleman sprayed her with a, shall we say, strategically placed water bottle. The lady kissed Coleman, who ran to rinse his mouth out. What the hell was this, Dan? <laughs> That's a fan, I think, if I recall. Do you remember from the old Rome shows, like NAWA, and, and shows in like the Cartersville area, there was this granny who had a stuffed monkey and she would like say all this fucking filthy perverted shit to the wrestlers about spanking her monkey and uh, was like real handsy with all the boys and shit. Um, I, I think that's who it was referring to. My goodness gracious. Southern wrestling, man. Nothing like Southern it. wrestling. Yes. Yes, it is, folks. <laughs> Alright, uh, TNT got early heat on Rain Man with some good double teams. Rave went to work on Rain Man until Coleman interfered from the apron. Coleman only tagged in once. Blackout had Rave softened up. Coleman did some of his signature offensive spots like a 360 axe kick. Blackout kept the heat on Rave. Rave's song is very effective in building heat. Rain Man's offense looked good here. Blackout did a backbreaker dropkick combo. Coleman came off the shoulders of one of one of Blackout when a leg dropped for a two count. He did the Thrilla and Cornilla punch on combo and a beautiful spinning elbow. The heels destroyed Ray with a series of top rope moves. Hot Tad finally went to Sexton who cleaned house with drop kicks. TNT doubled up on Coleman. Ray finally tagged in, having the advantage on Coleman. Rave needs to put some zip in his forearm blows, Larry says. Dreams tripped Rave as he ran the ropes. Coleman mentioned could drive with the JYD leg thing, and Blackout followed with the double headbutts off the top. While Blackout battled with TNT on the outside, Dreams entered the ring to boost Coleman into a giant splash. Rave moved, leaving Coleman to splat on the canvas. Rave covered for the win. Dreams has cost his brother two matches in a row. Really, really fun match here, Jeff. Yeah, it really was. Uh, my God, Todd had that series where he threw those three drop kicks that, that all landed right under the chin. I thought, I thought that was spectacular. I'm trying to figure out, and maybe one of y'all will have the answer as to, uh, who sweet dreams was trying to ape with his voice. I mean, I know he's doing Bundini Brown and flavor Flav combined, but, but the real high pitched voice is a takeoff on something. (laughs) And I I don't know what it is. I, I can't, recall what it was. Does anybody know what the uh, high pitch was? I can't remember exactly who he, I, I want to say it was a movie and I'm trying to remember maybe the Jamie Fox boxing movie thing. Oh god. I'm trying to think cuz oh maybe it was it I remember House Party. Remember House Party? Remember House Party? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, with okay. Ken Blake. With, with, uh, okay. with, with Full Force and, and the other guy that had the high-pitched voice. Okay. okay. That's that what it was. Be has it. to be. Yeah, yeah. Okay. God, a Full Force mention on uh, Exile and Bad Street. The deep cuts here uh, on this show. But, yeah, but, but I tell you what. Sweet Dreams could be annoying with that voice, but he could get the heat, too. 
That's for sure. People did not like hearing that. And yeah, that whole crew put together was was looking good. Oh, absolutely. And you know, rave selling is talked about here, Dan, and uh, he was very good at this point in time in, in selling as a babyface. Yeah, this is where the term "sell monkey" was first <laughs> coined. That like spread like wildfire at the various places Bill worked like TNA and Ring of Honor but Jimmy Rave was the inaugural sale monkey uh, <laughs> and he sold his ass off and it's what got him over here uh, you know it's very different style like Jimmy would go on to become a master of many different styles of wrestling over his career he became uh, an equally great heel he was a great technical wrestler at times but like here this run of him just as this white meat baby face is some of my favorite stuff he ever did still oh yeah it's magic absolutely all right marky mart wrestled again he beat terry knight in a48 steve martin entered with knight but did not stay at ringside instead mr wildside told dan wilson that he would have the distinct pleasure of sharing the announcing booth with the greatest play-by-play man in wrestling <laughs> well nice of uh you know, 1980s Jim Ross to show up. Mark star- started with hard whips. Knight went to the floor where he was met with a clothesline by Mark. Mark missed on a senton bomb. Knight used some uppercut forearms. Knight used a back suplex to the floor. Mark landed with a sick thud. Back in the ring, Knight used a cut wrench and went to work with a- on the low back of Mark. Knight applied the camel clutch. Mark got a comeback with a backslide to snap suplex. We got Crosh going to the top. Knight brought him down to Superplex for a two count. Knight used a slingshot bat breaker and went back to the camel clutch. They collided mid-ring with both men going down. Mark was up first, but missed the top rope leg drop. Knight was turning Mark over for a sharpshooter when the lights went out. Sinister Minister's wicked laughter came out of the PA. The lights were on, and Mark was in on top of Knight. The ref counted three. Martin hit the ring in a fury. The night of Marky Mark's life here. It's <laughs> a win on Terry Knight. It beats Cole, brothers. Good Lord. Really setting it up here. So, yeah, good stuff, good stuff. All right, Lance and David Flair beat Jeremy Lopez and Lance Dreamer in eight minutes. Lance was sporting a red hair band that he got from a fan. As soon as Flair appeared, Lopez announced a no chops to place for the match. Yeah, right. Flair slapped Lance on the ass as he went to the apron to start the match. Lance started fast on Dreamer with punches and head slams to the buckle, leading to his leap off the top to a netbreaker move. Flair and Lance at the double-team flatjack. Flair used a gut wrench and a drop-toe hole. Dreamer tagged Lopez. The fans hate this guy. Flair went to kick and punch offense. Lopez used a low blow and choke on the ropes. Flair gave Lopez a back body, so Lopez powered to the floor. He also got heat on Flair. Flair did Rick's flip bump to the corner with a twist as he nailed Lopez with a clothesline after landing on the apron. Flair tagged, but the ref didn't see it. Lopez scored near fall with a leg drop. Flair gave Lopez the woo chops the fans have been waiting to see. It went to a four-way. Lopez and Dreamer used stereotomic drops, but Laz and Flair no-sold them. Slammed the heels together. Laz hit a Britney Spears on Dreamer to get the pin. So, there you go. Got a nice little match here. And this is David Flair's last match in, uh, in Wildside at this point, wasn't it, Jeff? It's not his last match ever, but... No, at this point. Uh, at this point. But, yeah, this, this is uh, him finishing up. Uh, we did not know he was finishing up. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> but, uh, but yes, he's yeah. finishing up. Jeremy Lopez, uh, Larry knows how the fans hated him. Uh, Dan, did you get that sense as well? 
Yeah, Jeremy was a, a nice heat magnet right off of the the get. Uh, you know, pretty much as soon as we started featuring him regularly, he started finding ways to be a great mid card heel. You know, I think in maybe some of his early appearances, he's just kind of there as a wrestler. You know, I'm here to apply holds and take home the winner's purse. You know, like <laughs> but but like you know, as he's he's getting more comfortable, his personality's starting to come out. He's getting a little shitty, get a little heelish, and uh, it, it ends up evolving into some great stuff. I know, Jeff, you love that style of wrestling, uh, what Dan was making fun of there. <laughs> I, uh, it's, it's my personal favorite. You know, I, uh, I really want to see 10 minutes of guys exchanging arm ringers. It's my <laughs> All right, on the June 16th TV, the goals would meet up with Steve Martin in the back. So this is the week later. We get the, we get a, the, what goes on here. Talking about being fed up with Jeff G. Bailey and how he's going to deep end, how they're going to knock the taste out of his mouth. Steve talked about how Jeff's head's got too big and that the business will do that to you. And Steve said he wanted them to join up with him and he would handle Jeff. Steve then said they would take care of all the problems. Yeah, Steve's really coming after you in this promo, Jeff. <laughs> uh, he was feeling himself here. I mean, we'll, we'll get into more of that as, as these things, these move on. But yeah, he was, uh, he was feeling himself as Mr. Wildside and wanting to, you know, uh, have his own premium spot as Mr. Wildside without me. So uh, that that worked out beautifully for me because I didn't like sharing shit either. So you know, it was it was good that we uh we got our own separate groups temporarily. Yeah. Temporarily, indeed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll talk about but that Steve later. Steve was like, I think Steve just wanted to, to have some of his stuff that was his stuff, and it was just him and the guys, and uh, frankly, he did really well with it, so we'll get to that later. Yeah. In a Wild Side TV Tall Tournament match, Jason Cross beat David Young by count out in 837. First time meeting, which turned out to be an excellent seesaw match. Cross got Young fired up by literally walking all over him. Young immediately hit a press slam, landed a series of punches, and playing a cross with a choke slam. With Young on the floor, Cross did a spectacular somersault dive. Cross slammed Young into the barricade. Back in the ring, Cross first used a leg drop and then the somersault leg drop. Then he spot where Young were for a backslide. Cross countered with a low donkey kick. And Young countered again with a Northern Lights for a duke out. Cross got Young in the corner for a series of kicks to the face. Cross back flipped and charged back in with a leg lariat. Cross used a brain buster. Young crossed Cross on the top and hit a superplex. Young scored a springboard moonsault for a two count. They ran the rose in a cross super kick. Cross went to the top again and missed on a somersault leg drop. Ouch. Cross countered Young's powerbomb attempt with a roll up. Young finally played across with his patented spine busted, but Cross had a foot on the ropes. Brent Michaels came out with his head all bandaged up and pulled Young out of the ring, leading to a count out. Young and Michaels had a pull up a brawl that brought security half the locker about tried to break it up. So, does this mean? That in storyline, Dan, that David Young is the reason why Rip Michaels didn't make it to the ring on time? That he was the one that maybe attacked him in the parking lot? No, but it is the reason that that was the final straw that broke the camel's back for bad attitude. Um, it was implied that it was the elite that did it, but on commentary, we sold it specifically that, you know, we, we didn't know for sure who. It was kind of a mystery, and so that's why Rick was questioning David. Like, they had, there had already been friction between them. Uh, they, you know, they, they'd come to blows, I believe, once before in a thing. Uh, but you know, it didn't turn into like a beat down or anything. Um, and 
so in this case, you know, Rick thinks it's David, even though it was really, it, it, from my understanding, it was supposed to have been the elite because the whole point of this is Jeff is trying to get Adam through this tournament without having to wrestle a match. Yeah. And uh, this was, I mean, this was a really damn good match for the short time it lasted too, Dan. Oh my God. The, the David, uh, David Yerke and Jason Cross match was was excellent and they tangled a few more times over the years in wild side but they had really good chemistry and that's something i would have liked to have seen explored more than it was yeah now one thing uh that <laughs> didn't need to be explored was david gung's choice of ring gear at this point in time jeff uh <laughs> a black bodysuit with the white tights and white knee pads uh <laughs> any idea what prompted him to go to that look um, no, I don't have any idea what prompted that. Um, David had multiple gear, so I don't know why he chose that one. I want to note that Larry called a somersault dive to the outside. Jason Cross did a 450 yes. to the floor <laughs> on David Young. It was not a somersault dive. It was a 450 from the top rope to the floor on David Young. Uh, first time I'd ever seen anybody do that, by the way. So I uh, wanted to note that that's how special Jason Cross was. This was, And uh, he was doing the shooting star leg drop here. We'll see a couple misses. Uh, nobody has been brave enough to take it yet. I, uh, I can't remember who was the first to step up and say, I will take it. So uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out because we've seen him miss a couple already. Yeah. Like, oh, it's beautiful, but we ain't hit one yet. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And now our main event, AJ Styles and Onyx beating Suicidal Tennessees, Adam Jacobs and John Phoenix with Jeff in 1330. This is often the case when this group gets together. There was too much action to catch it all. Styles and Onyx were all over ST at the start of the match to where ST was on their knees hugging in the center of the ring. Phoenix and Jacobs both did beautiful running flip dives over the top. Styles did a plot show, the other three. Taking a scary-looking bump when it appeared that nobody broke his fall. Oh, it was scary. Styles got right up, though, and came back in the ring with a slingshot senton. Amazing. Styles and I teamed up for a double gorilla press slam on Phoenix. ST got the advantage on Phoenix Netbreaker. ST unleashed their offensive arsenal on it, getting plenty of help from the heel ref, Thomas, in the process. Bailey got in on the act with his shoe. $600 Gucci shoe. Honest finally hit a power slam to get the hot tag. Styles took over on Jacobs. Jacobs went to, floor, to the floor where Styles landed a high-velocity Pescado. Honest planted Jacobs with a blackout, spinning implant DDT, but Bailey pulled Honest out of the ring. Styles nailed Jacobs with the cl- Styles clash. Bailey had Thomas occupied on the floor, so referee Speedy Nelson hit the ring to count the pin. Venus stopped that with a chair shot to AJ. Venus covered, and of course Thomas jumped in to make the count. And Air Paris suddenly ran through the front door to pull Thomas out of the ring. Honest Debt Bailey, Paris nailed Jacobs and covered him with Styles so Nelson could make the three count. And the show closed with Paris challenging Bailey's men to a match at the next taping on June 16th. It was also announced that the War Games match on June 30th would feature suicidal tendencies and two partners against Paris, Styles, Onyx, and the mystery partner. Well, that's uh, more on that definitely to come. But Jeff, I mean, you're there at ringside. It's to the point now where you got these guys, and it just seems like any way you want to go with it, singles match, tag match, six-man tag match, I mean, you're going to get some magic here. 
Yeah, I mean, Adam and John and then, of course, eventually Jason are all just natural opponents for AJ and Onyx and Air Paris. I mean, they all styles just blend together perfectly. Any of the six, like you said, they can do tags, singles, six mans, whatever. I mean, we really have this top of the card cooking with some just some top-notch modern high-paced fast action wrestling and uh it's getting over like crazy and you mix in some good southern style heat and uh you know my god you got you some great pro wrestling why is air paris coming in through the front door not the stage uh, it's a surprise you know it's uh it's one of those multi-layered you know ECW run-in finishes where this run-in's the thing. No! And this, no! No! So that kind of thing. So, you know, him coming from the door just gave it a little more flavor and excitement, I guess. I don't really have a real answer for you. Yeah, it's good enough for me. Uh, Dan, I'm sure these matches were always a joy to announce. Oh, my God. I, this is where I actually started getting pretty decent on play-by-play. And I think it was just, you know, having the opportunity to call these matches that were going so quick and trying to keep up with them and uh, leaving little time for bullshit or bad humor or whatever. It was just like, get the matches over. And uh, I, yeah, I, I was like, this is the first time that I'm watching the TV and I'm not like embarrassed of my commentary. Yeah, you're definitely coming into your own as well, absolutely, as, as well as the, the talent in the ring. Yeah, the announcing on the show, you and Steve are starting to get in your grooves together. And, uh, yeah, it's, like I said, this is tremendous television in these uh, two months here. So, so yeah. All right, Tedos is up to around 120, which should look fine for TV, like we said. Wildside has shows scheduled for July 17th at Columbus, Georgia at the Como Auditorium. Headlined by Adam Jacobs versus AJ Styles, July 26th in Hickory, North Carolina, and August 11th in Kingsport, Tennessee. Those are all cities where Wildside has decent television slots. Yes, these shows are plugged heavily on uh, Wildside Television. Now, my question is to you, Dan: How many of these shows actually take place? I don't know about the one in Columbus at the Comer Auditorium. I don't recall doing that show, and I don't recall any stories from that show, but it is possible. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So that one probably didn't happen. Hickory and Kingsport most definitely did. So this is more of the Bill versus Steve saga. So Steve uh, now thinks that we need to run some towns off of the television. And the problem is he uh, wants to run them solely off the television with no other promotion. And uh, we'll get to we'll get to that here in, in just a little while. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the TV time was devoted to plugging those. I remember they had me come in and do all of these different stand ups and me and Andrew Thomas edited them together and, uh, you know, there was one for, for each town and, and we had like custom cards. Like it was very old school wrestling. So it was fun to get to do that because, you know, it, it was like the old school wrestling TV of like plugging the specific matches for the towns and we're going to be there, that type of stuff. That was awesome to get that experience at least. 
Jeff as a talent in the promotion, you know, being a manager and everything, when they're talking about running these different cities and different states, what is your thought process? Well, I mean, they're not far drives. So there's there's not like, oh, God, this is going to be awful. We're going to go some long ways and it's going to be terrible. So, I mean, Hickory, Kingsport, Columbus, they're all reasonably close drives. So, so there wasn't really any worry. As far as Columbus, that show definitely didn't happen. And I believe it had to do with the Oates brothers and them saying, hey, that's our town, guys. We'd appreciate you not running that town. And Steve and Bill saying, oh, okay, we're, we won't run your town. That, that, <laughs> that's my recollection Amazing. of that. I mean, no, no heat or anything like that. They just asked Bill, like, hey, Columbus is kind of our town. Um, we kind of appreciate you not doing that. And I guess Bill agreed not to do it. Um, what was the actual question? I said about what your thoughts as a talent, you know, going to. Oh, well, I mean, I was cities. excited to go to Kingsport and, and stuff. We had been to Kingsport once before, and it was a blast. And uh, you know, I was excited. I mean, I didn't know how we were going to draw or anything like that. I didn't know that's you know the only promotion was the TV. But I mean, like Dan talked about earlier. Um, this is such an exciting period that, you know, you really didn't question anything. You were just kind of gung-ho and, and ready to to jump in the car and go do it. Hey, we're doing great wrestling. Let's go do it in this town, you know. So it was a lot of fun. I mean, that was a – we call that slave summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and, and you have an incident like that, you know, with the Columbus thing with the Oates brothers. And, of course uh, – Kingsport has other wrestling going on. Bo James, of course, my dear friend, was running Kingsport with his group and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, hey, if you got TV in these towns and you find out that there is a, you know, a, a good enough viewership to warrant running that town, then why not? You know? That's interesting. I didn't realize that was Bo James town when we ran there. We had ran there once before and um, Tony Gibbons, who ended up running that town later, who was just a child. I mean, he was like a 15 or 16 year old kid at this time was at the show. I remember meeting him and then I know he went on to run Kingsport regularly for years. But uh, I didn't know that was a Bo James town. Yeah. Yeah, Bo would run uh, Southern States wrestling shows in Kingsport, and of course in that whole area. So, but yeah, that is a great building. It was a great building. Oh yeah, oh, lots of wrestling in that building over the years. That's for sure. All right, um, there. Sinister Diminish had never appeared during the taping, but stayed after the show to cut promos. So the Wasside wrestlers including Bad Attitude, Air Paris, Adam Jacobs, and AJ Styles will be appearing on Burr Prentice's USA Wrestling Show in Nashville on June the ninth. Wildside champion Justice, who's been out of, out of action with an injury, made his return into the ring doing a run-in during the Sean O'Hare-Bart Sawyer match in Nashville. Just watched that match recently. And, uh, yeah, interesting match. J.C. Dash is getting married soon, as they're saying he's retired from wrestling. And it looks like the promotion has decided they will no longer use Eddie Golden and Jesse Taylor. <laughs> yeah, we'll have more on J.C. Daz later on in the show. All right, June 8th. We got this is from Wildside NWA Wildside.com. 
The new Heavenly Bodies in the Bay World Tag Champions will visit ECW Arena on Saturday, July 7th. We'll talk about that later. AJ Styles, Onyx, and Rip Michaels will appear for WF when the promotion returns to Atlanta and Birmingham in July. We'll have more on that later. Bill Barons will be interviewed for an upcoming Torch Talk in the Pro Wrestling Torch. Oh, we'll have more of that, too. Barons is also scheduled for Observer Live on June 21st. Making the media rounds. Wildstar star, Wild star Jeremy Lopez leaves for a two-month Japan tour for Osaka Pro on June 14th. And we talked about the, uh, the upcoming shows, but it's noted here that the North Carolina show will likely not be sanctioned by the NWA. So what does that mean? Is that, uh, in, does that mean it's an NCW show? I mean, what, what does that mean? It's not sanctioned by the NWA. It, it would. It was Bill's, um, so, you know, Bill and Steve, like I said, were at odds a lot during this time. And this was one of those things that, they kind of squabbled about because it was Steve's idea to go run these shows. However, Bill is the vice president of the NWA, so it's a bit of a conflict of interest when his promotion goes to another NWA promotion's territory and tries to run the show. So that was it. I think it was Ricky Nelson was Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Yeah, and of course there was a big problem with that. So uh, Bill, of course, would not sanction the shows that Steve was promoting if, if another promoter was in the area that was NWA and had a problem with it. Like, and I think he got around with Kingsport because I think Tennessee was technically his NWA territory as well. well. Yeah, I think. There was no like NWA Tennessee thing though. I don't think at that time, like not NWA centric group in that, in that particular area, Kingsport. No. Yeah. No, it would have been, it had to go through Bill anyway, because he was yeah. the Tennessee and Georgia guy at the yeah. time. Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama, I think. Yeah. So there you go. All right. June 12th, AJ Styles goes for Thursday, June 14th to wrestle for the Christian Wrestling Federation in Leicester, Kentucky. Oh, that, that sounds like a fun show, doesn't it, Jeff? The Christian Wrestling Federation? <laughs> no, no. Dan would fit in great there. <laughs> Somebody dropped Jim Mitchell off at, in one of those shows. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. He actually worked Vince Russo's Christian shows. He was the devil on those awful, oh. awful things. Jim, Jim, Jimmy would have been great <laughs> on a Christian Wrestling Federation show. God almighty. And the New Heavenly Bodies uh, are now scheduled to appear on July 21st, as they had a conflict on the previously announced July 7th day. So there you go. All right, June 16th. The TV taping results at NWA Arena. We'll talk more about these uh, when we get to the TV episodes, but we'll, we'll get the full rundown. 130 fans. Big Henry Haas and Colt Derringer of Big Daddy Goff and Johnny Psycho. This is like a Matt Classic. Steve Dark. Perez, <laughs> yep. Steve Perez and Too Damn Bad over Mike Pittman and Omega. Another dark match. <laughs> TNT, Tony Sherlin and Todd Sexton over Kid Ecstasy and Kid Cool. White Trash over Lance Dreamer. Wildside Television Title Tournament Finals. Adam Jacobs over Jason Cross. We'll have more on that later. Bart Sawyer and Dynamite Rob Williams over Cooter Calhoun and Sergeant Hardner. Dark match. Scotty Wren over David Young by his qualification. Caprice Coleman went to a no contest with Jimmy Yang. Well, matches we'll talk about later. Dango went over Cross by his qualification. That never made TV. And then the main event... Onyx, Air Paris, and AJ Styles went to WDQ with suicidal tendencies. We'll have more on that when we get to the TV. All right, now let's get to the part of the show that Dan and Jeff have been looking forward to the most. 
Bill Barron's did a torch talk with Jason Powell. And uh, we're going to go over this. This is not heavy on Wild Side as a product, but this is more about the business side of things. And some of you have uh, have asked me to you know make sure that this got talked about. So here we go. Jason Powell asked Bill, you recently told me you explored the possibility of airing pay-per-views with direct TV. When did these discussions take place and what was the result? Bill said, right now they're doing this little mini pay-per-view things with the library from the old AWA. And actually, I don't even know who marketed those, but they were lucky they got that door in the right time. DirecTV's happy with what those are doing. Basically, I'm told until the product goes away or they need to fix it, they'll not be looking at wrestling, anything else in wrestling right now. There are a number of people who have knocked on that door, but the only conversation was, I know that you're doing it for these people. There are other libraries out there. One of the examples at the time was I was calling on behalf of Mike Graham at Dusty Rhodes, who had the Florida Library. I just said, what about these guys? Look at all these stars who got started down there. If it's working for this man, you could do that. The lady I spoke with, who was in charge of the decision, basically said, yes, we would consider that, but what we're doing isn't broken. So I think there is a window of opportunity there in the future for low-end pay-per-views, specifically a library product, the four ninety-five or $5 type buy. Direct TV giving its present distribution, though, I don't think it's an area where you could do a live pay-per-view and make any kind of money. You know, basically what this is going into is the, the rumors that were going around about Bill and Dusty possibly doing a co-promotion with Wildside and Turnbuckle and marketing that as a pay-per-view. You guys remember that? That rumor that was going around? Remember hearing it? Uh, no. Really? Okay. That was in a newsletter. Uh, really? <laughs> so, Dan? Does Dan remember? Dan? I remember vaguely. I, I think I touched on this in the last episode a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we talked like, about it. We knew that Bill and Dusty were working on something, but it we, we were not given any details as to what it was. So obviously it was that stuff that they would release on DVD, the old Florida stuff, and try to do a pay-per-view off of it. So there you go. It wasn't a co-promotion type deal. So it's probably, you know how wrestling goes, where you have the story and it gets passed around. It's like telephone, and it, it becomes a totally different story by the time it gets to the people at the end of the line. So that's probably what it was. Oh, that happens. A lot. Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, telephone what was it? Telephone tell a wrestler? Yeah. So there you go. Jason, when I talked to you for the feature, I did on your promotion into be a wild side, you told me that you don't have plans to hit this group national in a conventional manner. What did you mean by that? And what are your plans for expansion? Bill said my suggestion to anybody who wants to either be in wrestling, or as I am frequently told by people who are promoters such as Burt Prentice who is a legitimate wrestling promoter making money in wrestling the old-fashioned way, is that I'm re- really not in the wrestling business. I'm smarter than that. I don't really know if that's the case, but I know what he means. I want to minimize the risk, and the key is surviving. If I boldly say that I'm going to go national, the first thing I am admitting is that I need to be in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, and I just ran down the top five markets in the United States right now. I'd also know that at least four to five of those I'm going to have to pay. I'm already on television in one of them, but at least four out of the five, I'm going to have to pay money. Given the size of those markets, likely the annual budget is going to exceed a million dollars. What to find a way to, for want, or better words, shit a million dollars. How am I going to do that? Okay, I have to find somebody who's stupid enough to, I can say, invest this money in our rollout, and we'll make money on the back end. 
So we're back to where we started, which is one show in syndication. We're likely to do more than, no more than a 1.0 or 1.5 rating. And for an hour program, that's a failure, and it goes away. My bold statement of going national, I'm literally sitting there saying, I'm about to go knock my head against the wall for absolutely no reason. That's why every time I hear somebody make the statement, I'm going to syndicate my program. I honestly giggle because I've yet to find one of them who knows what the hell they're talking about. They may go get a syndicator who puts the show on, but guarantee the only guy who's making money is the syndicator. And that, to date, is what's happened. At this point, nobody can identify anyone who has been able to roll out a successful syndicated program. ECW didn't do that. ECW had a half-ass syndication deal, just like me. Except the difference between the two of us is that they paid for the privilege, and I didn't. They paid stations to stay on, control the time period, because they really wanted to go in and promote those markets. And you have to be on consistently. Know you're there, and be able to, th- to know that your promotional mechanism is there for you. When they went on in New Orleans, they had to pay. And I was on for free. In my case, I got preempted every once in a while. Believe me. Doing those ECW Patreon shows where we, you know, especially the last ones where we had the money in the, in the uh, bankruptcy deal, they owed a lot of money to these TV stations. And one of them was Channel 69 Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and this is what, you know, the thing we talk about a while ago with, with Bill and Steve, you know, I mean, Steve, it's not going national per se, but it's, it, it is expanding out into different markets. So it, it's kind of plays off of that when the, the conflict that Bill and Steve are having here at the top and, and Hey, you can get your TV on anywhere. I mean, good Lord. I mean, there's, there was wrestling on for, for years and years and years on in different places that they weren't going to promote. They maybe talked about it, but they weren't going to do it. They just want to get their TV on the air. So this is nothing new in wrestling. So, yeah. I mean, like, it, it, there's a thing on the, on the uh, WWE Network when they had the old Mid-Atlantic shows up. I don't know if any of you watched that, where they had some, a couple of the shows had local promos in it for when they got on in uh, Michigan. And they were talking about, we're going to come up to Battle Creek and whatever, blah, 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 blah. Ain't no fucking way Jim Crow Promotions was going to run a show in Battle Creek, Michigan in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't going to happen. Was Does Georgia do it? Yes, because they had they had the national television all that stuff. They had the, the, the ways of doing it. They had a loop they were running, you know, in that part of the country. Jim Crockett ain't fucking doing that shit. <laughs> and they had Tommy Rich. <laughs> yeah, and Crockett was, you know, and, and they were talking about, uh, you know, having, you know, and it had TV in Florida. So they're talking about, you know, stuff going on in Florida. They weren't running shows. They weren't going to run against Eddie Graham in Florida, but they had TV down there. So it's just, it's just wrestling. They have TV in different places. Don't mean you're going to run it. Jason asked, how is it that you're able to have your shows aired for free? Baron said, it's what I do. <laughs> That's the best answer I can give. If you go in having to be on the air, you're going in a disadvantage. You're giving the station the advantage because they don't need your show. It's a quick little supermarket where there are 800 brands of soap. You have to give them a reason to want to put yours on the shelf. Now, somebody comes in and says, we're going to give you a lower wholesale price, and we're going to do this, 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 and this. Well, hell yeah, they'll get that slot. But that doesn't mean they're going to make money. That's the same problem we have. Any idiot can get on television or anything if you are willing to play by their rules. What you have to go with, though, is not really caring. When I pitch the show, I say, it's available. It's up on satellite. Look at it. If you like it, put it on. I don't care where it goes. 2.30 in the morning, I'm happy as a clam. 
2.30 in the morning in Atlanta, and my show did a slide to 3.0 rating up against repeats of Jerry Springer. So that's fine. I could slide through the cracks that way. But if you're going to promote local live events off of it, then you are in trouble, because then you have to play by their rules. If you play by their rules, then you are finished. And there we go again. Dan talked about the, the thing where you know Steve wants to promote strict off the TV. And the, Bill's thoughts on that. Yeah, definitely at odds with those philosophies of Steve. Steve is seeing, uh, he's seeing money bags in the air of like, oh, we can promote national and expand and and like, like I think he might have kind of bought into that whole we're number two stuff. Like we all did a little bit, but like it was also somewhat tongue in cheek. Like we knew, okay, we were the second most watched wrestling promotion in the country for a time. Only because, like by like Homer Simpson, my favorite two words in the English language, default, default. (laughs) (laughs) And and so, you know, I think he bought into that hype a little and and wanted to promote off of it. What are you going to say? And Jeff, Jeff, you know, if the TV is on at 2.30 in the morning, I mean, how, uh, (laughs) how much of an audience are you really trying to promote to? Yeah, I mean... As as we go through this thing, one thing you can see about Bill is is he understood the idea of television and what it meant for wrestling. Where I mean, I figured we would get to that later because we have a Steve promo coming up where he goes berserk about we're number two, and I, I figure we're going to talk about yeah, that. Yeah, well, we can go that. Yeah, we can do but, that. But uh, you know, I uh, it was exciting to be like, hey, we're number two, but. Uh, you know, I had forty dollars in my envelope, which was a step up from twenty dollars <laughs> in my envelope. It wasn't like you know, oh my God, we're national stars and we're going to be going and doing these coliseums all over the country or something. You know, I mean, we were we were struggling to fill the Kingsport building, which we didn't fill by any stretch of the imagination. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was a. Uh, it was a bit of a pipe dream, but at the same time, it was fun to go do these house shows. And, you know, if you got your $20 or your $40 or whatever, you were cool. Like, okay, we had fun. I mean, this is really a time when, uh, everybody's having fun. Like there's, I mean, Steve and Bill are, are banging their heads against each other, but that's just freed up me and Dan to, to you know, let loose all the stuff we want to get out there with the guys we want to get like getting tank in and getting, you know, Jason and John and Adam on top and stuff like that, which I don't know that everybody was as enamored with suicidal tendencies being on top as me and Dan were. Oh, there was resistance for sure. I remember, you know, so a lot of these, the old timers kind of like in Steve amongst them, they, you know, they're great workers, but like, you, you gotta wonder, like, are people really going to pay to see them? Cause they're so small. Like, I mean, that was a battle we fought to get them there. These guys are wearing, you know, uh, baggy pants and shirts. They're not main eventers in pro wrestling. You know, I'm sure that's definitely where, uh, where the thought process was on a lot of those old school types. Absolutely. But times are changing. Big time. Big time at the, at the, the time that we did it. Yeah. Jason, as someone explained to me once that you piggyback your shows of other shows that you syndicate, Bill said, not really. The difference is I'm in touch with people and stuff that they feel they really need. 
One of the things I market as a syndicator is regionalized sports focusing on African-American colleges. Realistically, and I'll just use this as an example, if I have a game with Norfolk State and Norfolk, Norfolk, Virginia, logic suggests that the station in Norfolk would be interested in airing that game live. It makes good sense. Of course, that's the case. So if I'm already knocking on that door with something they want, as part of my conversation, I might casually suggest I have something else I'd like to have on the air. Are they together? Well, no. That would be blocked booking, which in some cases is actually illegal. But if we could benefit them, and I could benefit, if they don't mind, and I don't mind, and everything's fine. So I've just been, I've been knocking on the door for 20-some years, and they have nothing better to do with that hour. They can give it this guy over here for whatever, but they could give it to me. Thank you. Or they don't. For example, our show was on Orlando for a while. A friend of mine took over his programming down there. We've always had a rollover contract, which, of course, in wrestling, in most cases, unless you're a woman of wrestling, the word repeat never comes up. We do 52 shows per year. Just keep rolling. Wild Side's up to episode 89, which means we've been in existence for 89 weeks. It's pretty easy to understand. We don't have a season. A season in normal syndication consists of anywhere from 13 to 26 original programs running as many times necessary to fill up 52 weeks. So that means if you're doing 13 weeks, the show's running four times over that period of time if you have a full 52-week deal. In my case, I'm on every week with an original program including those seasons. So very often we're getting a little loosey-goosey on the contracts. Well, a new guy comes in, and they're reviewing contracts, contract laps. I got in there a day late, and whoops, I lost my time slot before, because somebody else came in, offered him money, and they took it. That's part of the negative of the way I do it, because it's casual. Sometimes I get screwed by my own process. And at the same time, one day I'm calling up Minneapolis, and I'm talking to some guys about something else, and all of a sudden, one of the major affiliates is programming one of the new independents in the market. They just picked up women in wrestling at that time. And I said, gee, wrestling in a block is always better than one show. They agree. Next thing you know, I'm in a major market. One thing you can say about Bill Barron's, he definitely knows how to play the game when it comes to these uh, TV station folk. <laughs> he, he, oh, yeah. He was a it was pro. his stock and trade for oh, many years. He was the syndicator. Yeah, and it's very interesting reading this, you know, how, how he, you know, works that, works that concept. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if only Paul Heyman could have done that. <laughs> he said, that must still be in business. <laughs> Who knows? Jason asked, are you making money off of NW Wildside? How's the process work? Bill said, I come in the wrestling in two ways. One is the most basic, which I honestly think that 90%, I hope, of the people in wrestling come from, which is you like it. Otherwise, you wouldn't bother. I've met very few promoters who are in wrestling because it's a huge money maker, and they're putting up with it even though they don't like it. In general, they're either marks for the names they book, or they are marks for being on camera because they're doing their little local TV show. Of course, I'm part of that, too. Honestly, Vincent Mann's part of that. I think he grew up in the business, and it's a business he loves. And I think his kids love it. I don't think it's just a family business for them anymore. I think they have a genuine love for it. I think that's where you start, and that's where I start on the thing. The difference I have, as perhaps many others don't, is I'm not in it because it's what I have to do. Because the people I try to learn from, the primary one and the initial one is Jerry Jarrett. My first goal is to not lose money in the wrestling business. I believe you featured a torch talk with Jerry recently. He's been historically lambasted for being bad on payoffs. No, he wasn't. When the money was there, with the talent, the big name superstars he promoted drew money. Everybody made money. When he said people didn't draw money, Jarrett wasn't going to lose. Or as he used to say, anytime a wrestler bitches, remind them that you are paying for the TV and making it happen. You are paying for the building. You are paying for the insurance. You are paying for the promotion. You are paying for every damn thing that gives them opportunity to make money. And they want to be the only one that makes a profit? 
And in reality, is no wrestler loses money performing on the show. Well, I take that back. There are probably some guys who pay for the privilege of wrestling, particularly in the indie circuit. But in general, they're getting paid. It may not be what they wanted, but they're getting paid. That's not the case for a promoter. Unless you, all you do is bought shows where your budget's there and you know what your profit is, you are promoting. You are opening the doors. You're paying people by tickets and taking the risk that you are going to make back your expenses going to the show. If you guarantee money to the wrestlers, you better make sure you're going to make enough money to pay them. And if you don't, it's coming out of your pocket. Well, Jeff, as being talent like this, you know, in, in, in the money situation, I mean... Sometimes, if you're in the indie circuit, God knows you have to love the business, don't you? Because the money ain't going to be there for you. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, God, I think everybody knows that now. I hope that's a universal truth. And there's nobody who's getting into pro wrestling who doesn't love it. Because if you don't love it, then I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Because you're going to be put in some situations where it's like, man... If I didn't really love this shit, there's no way in hell I wouldn't do this. But, uh, you know, you do. And uh, you end up looking back on it and going, well, that was kind of dumb or whatever. But at the same time, you look back on it and you go, ah, that's pro wrestling. You know, I mean, <laughs> you're either in it or you're not. And if you're in it, you're in it 100%. If you want to be great at it and you want to do something great and you want to create something great and – uh that's what we felt like we were doing. So the money, the risk, all that stuff was whatever to the end product, which was to put on a great wrestling show. And, uh, you know, I never worried about the money or the business end of it. Cause I figured if any money ever came in, I'd get my share of it. And if it didn't, I was grateful that I was getting to work with great talent and be on a nationally syndicated television wrestling program. You know, that was my childhood dream and I was living it. So I was cool with whatever and I got money. So, you know, it didn't matter. And Dan, you know, Bill's, you know, lines about the promoter and all the stuff the promoter has to put out for the show. I mean, it's all true, but I'm sure a piece of talent that, thinks he's getting short uh short changed he probably doesn't want to hear the hat does he <laughs> yeah probably not um probably not in a lot of cases but it is true and i, I mean it, it depends on the situation also like if the houses are fucking packed and you know they're making a shitload of money and they're still not wanting to pay you oh yeah then it does become a bit harder to swallow you know if you can do math and you have half a brain if the houses are shit and you know what guys are getting paid you know what expenses are you like you know they're not making any money like that that's one thing i've never understood from talent like because you know i i've been a talent and i've been a promoter and uh, it's it's like how how can you not see that there was nobody out there like um, not you know you you deserve whatever you agreed to get but like you know when it comes to bonuses or whatever or you're bitching about what you got like I mean it, it's if nobody comes to the shows then they don't make any money. 
I'm going to run more shows if they lose money consistently. So Bill was a master at that, like of not losing money in wrestling. You mentioned that earlier in the thing. And that was one thing. And, and one thing that he kind of imparted on me, like I ran shows for like two years up in Chattanooga and never lost money. And the second that it started heading that direction, I was like, well, I guess it's about time to close up shop. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, you don't want to lose. Absolutely not. Uh, sidebar real quick that you know in, in your time of working for different promoters and stuff like that did you ever work for a promoter that happened to come in there and say you'll never guess what happened somebody stole the gate you guys ever had to deal with that one jeff might have i never had a i i somebody stole the gate but we've definitely had oh the money isn't there i'll get you next time a lot and you know if they're they're gonna write you a check or get you next time that usually means that you're fucked (laughs) jeff did you have yeah i I never i never had um we've been robbed or anything like somebody stole all the money (laughs) nothing like that but but there's definitely been well, you know, um, we thought we were going to do a little better and blah, 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 blah. And I mean, that kind of stuff, if somebody doesn't tell me what I'm getting, whatever. I agreed to come, blah, blah, blah. But if I'm told a certain amount of money that I'm getting and then they want to back out of that, then we have a problem. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'll go to war over 20 bucks like it was 20 million, you know, (laughs) just over the principle of the situation. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, if I just agreed to go work something and they said, ah, you know, I'd be like, whatever, you know, I I agreed to come do this because I wanted to do it. I mean, I did wrestling because I loved wrestling and wanted to do wrestling. Would I have loved to have made a million dollars? Of course. But do am I sad that I, I mean, no, I got to do wrestling, you know, and, and work with all these great people and do all this great stuff. So, I mean, and again, you know, I'm not broke today, so I'm not really that worried about it. Yeah. It was a fun time. Yeah. All right, Jason asks, more specifically, in terms of your syndicated show, do you make money from the stations that air NWA Wildside? The basic answer, Bill says, we really don't. This probably flashes back to my earlier comments because of the rules that relate to putting TV shows on television. You have to be at a certain percentage of the country in general and reach a specific rating with a specific station count to really get into the game of any real money. Part of that thought goes in my ongoing speech that no one, no one in wrestling will ever really make enough money to support a wrestling company. So in our particular case, the show itself is distributed for the bells, the gongs, and whistles. It presents the terms of image. Basically, we're out there with the TV show being seen by more people than others, and hopefully that makes my wrestlers perceived as larger stars than other people's wrestlers. If you add that to the rest of the promotion that we do, hopefully the perception is that we're big. And the TV show helps that perception. In terms of dollars, we put PIs in there per inquiry spots. They can either not deliver at all, or if you're lucky, you might get in the best possible something in the extreme low thousands of dollars, if you're ever lucky enough to get that. The most I've ever made in a month in any syndication based on PIs is a couple of thousand dollars. That's probably back with Smoky Mountain, not recently at least. And Jason follows up, and you didn't tell me that your viewers that want to see see you earn a few bucks, they should call the numbers of Matthew Lesko's commercials. <laughs> Matthew Lesko, folks, if people may not remember him, he was the guy that would stand in front of the uh, Capitol building in Washington wearing a suit with dollar signs all over, looking like the Riddler. 
<laughs> Very early 2000s. Uh, yes, yes, yes. If you see the guy with the big question marks all over his jacket, please call that number because I get a big payout on that one. Also, lately, I found a lot of success on the ones that offered to help people with financial problems. Those also have large payouts. So if you have a huge financial problem and you're watching our show, please trust these commercials because that alleviates my financial problems. My question is, is that, you know, when they were airing those shows in 2000, uh, you know, all over the place, a lot of the commercials on their show was for local <laughs> businesses in the Cornelia area. <laughs> so who was that? I mean, who in Dallas, Texas was going to uh, <laughs> go to the A Club? <laughs> like they, yeah, good I mean, it was, question. It was airing in Dallas that way. The, the local... T- TV show was airing in Dallas. So, <laughs> oh, the A Club. Just want to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> Jason Powell, prior to uh, being WCW being sold WF, NWA Wildside served as a developmental territory for them for six months. Tell me what you can about the deal and how serious did you feel their management was about that project? Bill said, when we went into it, everybody was serious. Very serious. It was something they had wanted to do and they had done with other two promoters. For various reasons, they felt that those deals had not worked out. One of those was with Les Thatcher, which I know very little about, and they felt they didn't feel they got any of their return on their investments. Certainly, very few people were sent up there, which seems to indicate they didn't get much return. Burt Prentice was the other one in Nashville. That one sort of ended for dumb reasons, because quite literally, everybody that was sent in the Burt system eventually made the television, which it dare suggested it worked. Regardless of all that, all of a sudden, they were without a developmental deal. I approached Terry Taylor and just asked a question. You know, I'm local. Most of the guys could just drive to me. Why not? That led to a meeting with him, J.J. Dillon, and me. We had an agreement that there that was basically an incentive agreement. The more shows I produced, the more we were paid based on the wrestlers they booked, and they had a cap of how many they could book in. Then there were some people, the power plant wrestlers, that were sent to us on a regular basis. Troy Enders, who worked as Omen, Sam Greco, Bob Sapp, Dan Secure, who we renamed Dan Factor, Dan Flair, Dan, Danny Fakir, or Dan Factor and David Flair. Those were wrestlers who were sent to us all the time, or at least most weeks for regular training. There are other developmental wrestlers who weren't in Atlanta that were t- periodically sent in or more regularly sent in, like Steve Sharp, who was working as Ali, Scotty Sabre, who became Scotty O, in the one use they made of him, and a few other guys. Chris Harris was another one. In addition, Terry won the deal so he could send down uh, guys to the seasoning. The young already signed on TV talent, like Mark Jindrak, Sean O'Hare, Sean Stasiak, Chuck Palumbo. Everybody but maybe four or five people that were eventually signed to the new yet-to-be-launched WCW came through our doors for what, in theory, could be called additional training. We set that up. It was a set-up that instituted a program, and it worked. I think David Flair continues to be the best example that we accomplished something. If anybody who has seen it from the day he walked in our door to say last week when he returned to our television, it's night and day. We took a guy who didn't like being in the ring and thought he had to compete with his dad's image. He became a guy who has a hell of a good time in the ring and is much better working than people still give him credit for. In fact, he's the good as half the people that have been exposed on WCW's television. It's just nobody has let him wrestle because he was never given a chance to learn. Jason follows up. There are more rumors WF wants to give David a developmental deal. Do you think he needs more training, or do you think he's ready to make an impact now? Well, he could make an impact now, but you need to protect him. You don't want to rush anybody anything. They did that with The Raw by rushing him and putting a belt on him, and the crowd collectively said, Who the hell is this guy? It's Flash Cavana. This is a guy we don't want to get behind. And they had to start over nation domination. So you shouldn't rush anybody. If you force people down throats, it rarely works. Goldberg might be the one of the rare examples where forcing somebody down somebody else's throat worked. 
In the case of David Flair, he has a skill. He's not yet a guy who's going to lead an inexperienced wrestler to a great match, but he can go in there with somebody at his level or above and have a very, very good match. And then that, and he now knows how to use the signature flare spots to his advantage and to get a reaction. But yeah, I would encourage. And Jim Ross has been very generous by saying he's looking hard at him. I assume they're going to give him an opportunity soon, but he'll be somebody that would be a good idea for him to spend some time in Memphis or even go to work at, on a regular basis with Danny Davis and those guys in OVW. Only concern with that is that David is actually a little more experienced than some of the guys who are in the Davis school. Just because he has a tendency to get the most green people in WS working on, like the, uh, the other angle, Eric, who right now doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, as we talked about, David Flair, Wildside was a blessing for David Flair. You know, he actually probably looked the best he ever looked in wrestling in Wildside. So that, that's a credit to what you guys are doing, Jeff, and, uh, and getting David Flair into, you know, loving the wrestling business, so to speak. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything Bill had to say there. You know, uh, sometimes we forget in the ragging on Bill that we do how smart he actually was. And uh, he was very smart and he, he passed down a lot of that knowledge to me and Dan. And uh, we're both very appreciative of it. But uh, it's it's wild looking back at this thing and hearing him talk about David and, and as it was happening and realizing it's it's all true. I mean, from when David got there to that last time was, was night and day because David was having fun. Like, you know, David would put somebody in the figure four and, you know, be having a ball doing it, not doing it because he felt like he had to do it. So uh, it was a big change and it was a great change. And I, I hope he looks back on it as a great time in his life. And Dan, you know, Bill brings up about pushing people down uh, fans throats and how Goldberg went against that grain, so to speak. That is a tough line to walk, isn't it? Or you really want to get this guy over, and you really want to push him. I mean, you're you're trying to you know get him out there as much as possible, but you don't want to overexpose him too much. I, I mean, as a booker and guy writing television, I mean that that's got to be tough. Oh, it's it's always difficult because sometimes there's guys that you'll see and you'll see it in, and you'll start to get them going and get them cooking. And then you can tell if you're smart that the audience is not seeing it. So you might want to pump the brakes on it. And then other times it is just about listening to the audience. And if you listen close enough, they'll tell you when to do it and when enough is enough, but it still requires that degree of manipulation. And it is just like, I mean, yeah, you, you nailed it. It is a fine line to walk of with the the appropriate amount of pushing a guy and manipulating him versus what the audience is accepting you need you need them to you need to be like two steps ahead of them cuz you need to be giving them what they want before they know they want it but only just before not too early either <laughs> exactly exactly uh, Jason Ash you have talked to Dennis Brent and WF about becoming their next developmental territory how'd that talk go very pleasantly We've always had a good relationship with the talent office with Dennis and Jim Ross and Kevin Kelly. In fact, my talent's put together on the show here in July. Nothing has changed there. They were interested in us. They retained interest. But when they went through their budget process, which they had warned me about, instead of the budget being increased, which they had requested to add development or also add developmental talent, the budget was actually slightly reduced. And from what I was told, they were going to make slight adjustments within the present system. I wasn't told that they would eliminate any of the present systems, which some people or many of you may know as Ohio Valley, Memphis Championship Wrestling, 
Rip Bassman's Thing, Ultimate Pro Wrestling, and the IWA in Puerto Rico. Those are the primary ones. There appears to be a casual relationship between Ohio Valley and Heartland, which is easily identified when you see Chris and Wash up on a Heartland card. Obviously, WF must like their promotion, and there's not a chance in hell that Benoit would be there. I think what they're going to do is try to set up scenarios that allows the talent that is already placed and the talent that essentially gets placed to work more dates. So logically, Ohio Valley doing a couple of dates a week, if they set up for a relationship with Les Thatcher, we have HWA, the has dates within an hour and a half away. The more work these guys get, the better. The key to developmental is getting guys in the ring in front of people. But getting in the ring in front of people is 100% different than working out a match with nobody there. It's night and day. You don't learn as much the other way. And then basic training is also occurring in Ohio Valley. IWN doesn't need any rough fixing because Victor Quinones and Dutch Mantel booking, they do a lot of shows anyway. So the crew that goes down there, and they are now finally sending people there, and gets a lot of work. Rick Bassman of UPW runs very infrequently and doesn't do TV, which is the other thing that they, WF, likes. And I know very little about that promotion other than from what I've read myself. That's a totally different relationship, obviously, and totally different than what they expect of everybody else. So I don't know if that will change or not, but a lot of suggest that this one thing that the apple to the orange that everybody else is. Yeah, I mean, what's about to happen, as Bill's doing this torch talk, is WS about to completely overhaul their developmental system, and they're going to eliminate Memphis. They're going to eliminate, uh, you know, working with IW Puerto Rico. They're going to bolster up Ohio Valley, and they're adding Les Thatcher as a regular developmental promotion. Now, the question is, uh, Dan... Did you guys think that there was a chance that WF was going to uh, become a developmental you know, thing for y'all? Or was there ever anything that was talked about? It was kind of the holy grail after we lost the WCW deal. Like, okay, we'd already proven that we could do this for a major promotion. So, you know, why not? Um, and it was bandied about a few times. And even when Wildside closed, like, that was kind of... Jumping way ahead, but that that was kind of what we thought was going to happen, and then Deep South ended up popping up. So yeah, it was something that that popped up frequently, and we hoped would happen. Um, we you know we were kind of an unofficial development territory still, uh, as you saw the guys that came from us and and sort of became one for TNA there once they popped up. Um, but yeah, never, never got that holy grail of being the WWF slash WWE development system. How different, Jeff, do you think Wildside would have been if they would have become a developmental territory for WWF? Well, I guess it depends on who they would have sent us. If they would have sent us Leviathan, then holy <laughs> shit, you know, I mean. That's fuck. That's like a dream come true. You know, I mean, there's there's two guys that have wrestled in the big leagues over the last 20 years that I would have given a shit about managing. And Leviathan is one and Umaga is the other. So uh, if we could have got developmental and I, I would have loved to have had the chance to work with even more great talent. I got to work with a lot of great talent. My God, some of those guys that came through OVW, I would have loved to have had a chance to uh, do some stuff with them as well. Yeah, the problem is, though, is when you're working with, in, in that WWF thing with the developmental, and Cornette went through this a lot, is that when they're ready to pull your talent, they'll do it willy-nilly, and then you're in a situation where you're going to have to totally rebook everything that you're maybe doing with, with talent because 
they put them on their TV and they're still in your control and it's going against some of the stuff that you're doing in your promotion. You know, I mean, that's all true, but at the same time, um, to get Shelton Benjamin, Brock Lesnar, Randy Orton, John Cena, and Batista on your show at the same time. Uh, yeah. You, you make some sacrifices for that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, Jason, it seems like one of the reasons WWE was attracted to the Wild Side is that you're based in Atlanta. Well, not really. So a number of those wrestlers who live in that area could have conceivably work shows for you. Yeah, we had three benefits. And they identified them. We agreed on them. Ones that were local for a lot of talent that had, they had signed, or at least within reasonable drive or move from those wrestlers. You're Jamie Noble. You already had come to work for me for a week. Obviously, you don't mind being up here, and you could always stay over, even with Chris Canyon when you come up. So you had the opportunity. We do TV, and they like we do TV. We already have a relationship there anyway, because I distribute the Memphis Shepard Wrestling Show. And we promote frequently by any definition. We promote anywhere from a minimum of six dates a month to as many as 15, depending on the month. They were talking about, and that's the frequency that they're looking for. So we fulfilled all of their requirements, and we're also actually, quote, legitimate. As a proverbial business license, there's no wrestling license required, and we carry the requisite million-dollar insurance policy that's given for them to do business, but not necessarily a given for most of the promotion in the United States. Not everybody has insurance, you may be surprised to hear. That's a plus for having for, for to having you know a guy like Bill in charge of Wildside is yeah there is insurance because a lot of these indie promoters definitely did not want to fool with that. No 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 no. So. Yeah, Bill was always on the up and up. Everything was very legitimate. I mean, to a fault. Like like you know you couldn't even get Bill to fudge something a little bit. Like he uh, he was honest, uh, Eagle Scout all the way when it <laughs> came to stuff like that. Yeah. Jason, has there been rumors circulating that if he's assigning talent, any new talent to development deals? Obviously, there's special circumstances. This is a known amateur wrestler or a known football player. Have you heard any of those same rumors? No, no, no. The only thing I can speculate, and I might as well be more mere semantics, is as I said earlier, they didn't get an increase in the budget. So until they eliminate people under what are presently called developmental contracts, the window of opportunity to hire someone new under developmental contract may be limited based on the fact that they don't have a developmental monies pursuant to the budget. It's a guess, but certainly consistent with what I've been told. It may simply be that they're going to hire people, whether those people will immediately start a big theater, or whether they've initially started in any smaller affiliated theaters may be the next direction. That may be a semantics thing more than anything. I couldn't imagine. In a pure sense, they'll be a fix of something that's working. It's de- definitely working for them. Definitively working for them, actually. Giving the talent a chance to get their feet wet with other talent and for them to look at the talent before they show up on a Raw or House show is essential. It would make no sense to abandon that. And then Jason follows up, what differences are there between the deal you have with WCW and the one proposed with WF? With WCW, my deal was different from the other two that had them. They were very similar in their structure, but I deliberately created mine to incentivize, which I thought would help their perception corporately. I created incentives in that I would have to be running more to be paid more. Rip Bass's deal with WF is unique because I don't believe he's paid anything, but the other guys are paid a fee. Fee's not huge. And then the talent sent there, and the commitment is to keep them busy. And that says they're both very similar, and the intent of both deals were very similar. The biggest difference between the two is other than the territorial involvement of WF and then the WCW system, WCW was a version relatively in developing talent. Their tendency was to throw them out there and see if it sticks. Didn't necessarily have a lot of success with that. At least the success they could have was some of the talent. But again, David Flair could be a wonderful example of that kind of mistake. WF has been doing this for years, going back at least over a decade. They were doing it when I started working with Jerry Jarrett and USWA. Well, it wasn't called developmental at the time, and that's what USWA was. The hearts are coming down, the towel's being sent in. Even Vincent Man was a heel manager for a brief period of time during an angle down there. 
So the system had just started at that point, which was a turnaround from Vince's original deal, which turned to expansion and eliminated a lot of local promotions. They discovered they really needed that smaller promotion to give them some ring experience to the Flats Cavanas before they become the Rocks. Jason asks, you mentioned that Rip Bass's developmental deal is different from the other territories. I know you uh, don't have a ton of knowledge on the deal, but basically it sounds like he serves as an agent for the wrestlers. He signs working in his UPW promotion. Remember everything I heard, he's apologist to everything I didn't enjoy, and this is not to speak negatively of Mr. Bassman because I honestly don't know the man, but he must have real contention for WWF to even begin to get in the business with him. But when I was watching Beyond the Mat, and Roland Alexander came out and was hovering over Michael Modest while waiting for his 20% piece of the back end of his payoff, that just personally drove me crazy. It's everything I don't want to be known for in the wrestling business, which is the leech falling behind the wrestler waiting for that guy to get paid so that I can get paid. My understanding is that Mr. Bass has a similar relationship and that he's paid on the back end. Personally, I'm not a fan of the form because I think it puts too much pressure on the relationship between the promoter, WF, and the piece of talent in the middle. If I were to WF, and again, I'm not speaking for them, I don't know I would want to negotiate through people if I could avoid it. <laughs> nice little dig at Rick Bassman there. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. And kind of ironic, considering <laughs> what Bill's future jobs would hold. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. There's Torch Talk with Bill Barons. All right, so now we're uh, we're past Larry Goodman part of the show. We're past the Torch Talk with Barons. So everything now is pretty much stuff that uh, I saw on the TV and uh, other various wildside.com news reports. June 23rd TV started with clips of the Cole Twins and Steve Martin beating the shit out of Marky Mark and Twist in the parking lot of the NW Arena, which Dan Wilson would call disgusting afterwards. Yeah, that's their revenge from what happened uh, in that match at the previous TV. That was actually shot at some apartment complex. As oh, I it was? <laughs> yeah. That. How, yeah. How, how did that go? You're shooting in places where people live. <laughs> I mean, they, was, there, was there anybody out there watching? Anybody about calling the cops? Or I, I wasn't part of this one. Um, I was part of the other two we did, but this was just the Coles and Steve. And uh, I think it was in Steve's apartment complex. And uh, they just set everything up and did it. I mean, that Cole picked Gabriel up and threw him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not a nice landing. It's one of those things that I cringed watching like Jesus, these kids, you know, cause the Coles are big, strong guys. And, uh, man, they threw these kids around like rag dolls. Well, absolutely. They did. TNT versus G rated up at the show. Uh, this is joint of progress. We basically get the last couple minutes as TNT gets to win. Then they get destroyed by blackout as their feud continues. White trash gets Lance dreamer. Funny watching white, watching white trash work limbs and holds starting to match, but hey, what the hell? Trash even hits a diving plunge from the ropes to the floor, which popped Dan Wilson on commentary. Dreamer goes on offense and has trash reeling until trash makes his comeback before Mr. Delicious runs out to attack white trash, hitting the iconic class before a mystery man runs in the ring to save trash. And that man was a debuting tank. Tank cleans house as both Prazek and Dan still. They had no fucking idea who he was. Yeah, this is Tank's TV debut, and saving White Trash, and they're now forming their partnership. And if I remember correctly, White Trash was yelling out, "Dan, I didn't know you got out." 
Yeah, he was. So it was supposed to be that he was Trash's old running buddy from New Jersey, but that he had a few screws loose and that he beat somebody up real bad and got sent away to an insane asylum and uh, apparently either was released or escaped. We never clarified, but made his way to Georgia to help his pal in his war against delicious dreams <laughs> and tank i mean if you've seen tank in recent years you watch it 20 years uh ago tank's a skinny dude <laughs> back then <laughs> yeah we used to jokingly call him stone cold tank during this time <laughs> he, he definitely looked like him. absolutely <laughs> I was like, damn, look at Tank. I, for, I, I totally forgot about him being, uh, being a skinnier man back then. I'll never forget when White Trash came back to visit, you know, years later on a show. And he hadn't seen Tank in a long time. And this was Tank at his fattest. And, and he came in and he saw him. He said, holy shit, did Tank eat Tank? <laughs> and it was pretty fucking funny. <laughs> I'm sure Tank probably didn't think it was funny. <laughs> I don't think he thought it was funny for shit. <laughs> oh, God, I love Tank. All right, uh, Wildside TV Talk Tournament Finals. Adam Jacobs versus Jason Cross. This ought to be a humdinger. Or not. As they start a match, and Jacobs puts his hand on Cross to get the win, and everybody celebrates what they just pulled off. Jesse Bailey gets on the mic and announced that Jason Cross was an original member of Suicidal Tendencies, and he's coming home after being stuck in obscurity hanging around she-males. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey said that Cross wants to do wants to do wants to know what it's like wearing six hundred dollar Gucci shoes and have any woman he wants, and every man wanting to buy him a drink. Bailey then talks about how Jacobs has proved that he is the best wrestler on television, and everyone will find out Suicidal Tendencies is a dominant force in wrestling. You. I'm not kissing your ass here, Jeff, but I am. You were awesome in this segment, getting over this whole thing. And boy, yeah, the fans hated this with a passion. Oh, it was so great. I was so excited. I was so excited to get Jason. And uh, those are my first pair of Gucci shoes. That's why I take it off and hold it up to the camera. Those were the very first original $600 pair of Gucci shoes. So by God, I was getting those fucking things on television so everybody could see them. So I was excited about that. I was excited about the angle. I was excited that we were building the war games. I mean, so, yeah, when I, I look back at some of this stuff, I, I can just see and hear the excitement in my voice. You know, it's it's just really, we're really doing some great stuff. And, I mean, we've just won this world television title tournament without Adam having to take a single bomb. I mean, it's people <laughs> were just furious. I mean, they were enraged because Adam was already a small, cocky little fucking shit to begin with. So now he's got a championship and everything else. So, I mean, his heat was starting to skyrocket and we're about to, to, to move that in a different direction post-war game so uh yeah a lot of great stuff going on here and thank you for the the kind words because i was i was really happy with the way that whole tv tournament thing turned out and i think uh me and dan put most of that together and uh i was really happy with the way that all turned out dan you know as uh, jeff just said you two guys were you know lay, laying most of this out this is your baby and 
Now you're watching it uh, get executed in front of the crowd and you're on commentary. What was that like to be part of that? I mean, that's one of the first times you get to see that. And that's why, like, booking is so intoxicating. Because when you get that feeling of it all coming off exactly as you envision, or in some cases like this, even better than you had envisioned, then it's like, I mean, it's one of those highs that's that's right up there with anything else you could imagine. Um there's a lot of other headaches that come with booking. It's why I don't do that anymore, even though I am back in the business. Um, like being a performer is so much more fun, <laughs> but but it's a risk reward thing. You got to put a lot of work and effort into booking, but also the, the payoffs are pretty damn spectacular. Yeah, there is that. <laughs> and, and I don't mean like the monetary payoffs. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they still fucking suck. But uh, but like the the emotional payoff of like your investment and the creative payoff. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's said that it's like, you know, this is your baby. It's not like I'm a real child or anything like that, but it's your baby. You know, you conceived it and you're watching it grow and watching it, you know, transform out there and the people and either into it or not and they were into this absolutely and uh, just the beginning of what's to come in this whole deal next we get close with new jack and david young from the last show at bumpers in athens with dan narrating over and he puts over the hardcore nature to few with clips to match with clips of the match very solid video to get this over yes i liked it i, li- I like that you guys did this because it made that Athens show seemed like a big deal and that, hey, you need to get out there because New Jack's on that show. He's not on the TV show, but he'll be there. And him and David Young had this kick-ass match last time. It's going to get even worse there, Dan. So, yeah, this was a, a great job of using uh, the house show footage to get over the house shows. Yeah, thanks. That would have been a me and Andrew Thomas most likely concoction. Like we, we had a lot of late nights in the editing room after everybody else had passed out where we would do little projects like this. And we just thought it was a good way to, to get over. And, and the Athens shows were his shows. So he had a special interest in making sure they were well promoted because it was his financial ass on the line promoting the town. And it was great because like, okay, well, you know, the building is small. There's not a lot of money on TV. So the, the big stars that come in are going to do usually limited spots. Usually sometimes they'll do more, but uh, usually limited spots, but like on these, house show towns like Athens well they drew really well so Andrew knew he could pay New Jack his rate you know whatever that was to go out and actually do the full New Jack experience not just the I'm doing Bill Barron's a favor New Jack experience so quite a different experience yeah alright uh, Scotty Ram versus David Young was next the fans love them Scotty Ram that's for damn sure this match is also joined in progress a lot, quite a few joint in progress matches on these shows. With Sinister Minister joining Steve Prezak on commentary, where he talks about the new members coming in and join his crusade. The match is a good back and forth match with Minister talking about how Steve Martin mistreated Ren for years, and he has brought out Ren's inner scumbag. Scumbag is said a lot during this match by, by Jimmy. Uh, Steve Martin's crew then runs out and attacks Ren as Sinister Minister ran out screaming, It's time for the lost souls! Rip Michaels runs out to save Ren, and then Dave Young joins in on the beatdown of Michaels, and Toldus Trusser runs out to get the Cold Twins. And a wild brawl going on before the lights go out in the building. 
The lights come back on as Sinister Minister shoots fireballs at Steve Martin, which he missed, but that was quite the visual, and David Young looked like he got hit with something. Minister Nick cuts the promo afterwards talking about how Rip Michaels has joined his lost souls, and there'll be burning tables at Freedom Fight, and you have to put someone through them to win the match. Yeah, Jeff, this is uh, the big moment here where now uh, Jimmy's getting his, his crew lined up to go against Steve's crew. Hello? Jeff? Yes, I'm here. My bad. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. It happens. It happens. <laughs> yes. Um, what was I saying? What were we talking about? Oh, um, oh yeah, Jimmy getting his yeah. team put together for the Infernal Damnation match. Yeah, that uh, that all set up nicely. And I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how Steve and Rick got that flaming tables past Bill, but holy shit, did he live to regret it? I mean, we never had another one. <laughs> oh, no. We'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Oh, no. Oh, man. So Justice cuts a promo in the back in, back to end the show with his wife's halfway title belt over his shoulder. talking about getting rid of Stone Mountain, like he said that he would do. And now he is the big man on campus. Well, we'll have more on that in just a few minutes. All right, June 27th. Bumpers in Athens, Georgia, the car for Bumpers. We don't have the results of this show. We don't have any results for a lot of these shows. Uh, no Friday night results, none of that stuff. Uh, TNT versus the Platoon, White Trash versus Kid X, Rob Williams versus Rick Michaels, Justice defending the Wildside Todd against Scotty Wren, and New Jet versus Damon Young in the rematch. So, Bumpers in Athens, Georgia. We talked about you know, those types of shows on the uh, previous episode, so there you go. All right, June 30th television. The TV starts up with a great commercial for Diversity 5 and their website. <laughs> now, I thought that that would have been over with by now. You know, Diversity 5, but here they are. Uh, they made their Wild Side TV appearance, Dan, in a commercial. They did, and uh, I think that commercial had been around a couple times before, but maybe not. I... So we used to have local sponsors in the early days when they were like really motivated to to try to get out and make it a legitimate money making thing. And then after a while, those sponsors kind of faded away. So Bill would at least have the per inquiry spots that he would post. And I think that might have been one. The diversity five thing might have been a a per inquiry. I'm not really sure exactly what the deal was with it. But what I'm saying is like, there would be commercials that would run on there well past the point that they were supposed to, just because they didn't have anything else to fill the spot. Fantastic. (laughs) All right. Caprice Cohen versus Jimmy Yang. Caprice, the sweet dreams give Yang shit for the match where he does his Jackie Chan impression for money talks and then shoots in the bird. Basically, do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? That whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Praise that and Dan really play up this as an interpromotional match. That's just a, a rush hour, not money talks. Uh, play this as an interpromotional match between Wildside and WCW, which is funny. Yeah. <laughs> the dead WCW. Uh, saw a match as both guys look good here. Blackout would attack Yang on the floor as Jimmy Ray showed up to steal his belt back. And TNT showed up to help Rave and Yang. It was a great spot where everyone jumped for the belt that was laying in the ring before Yang picked it up. They started walking away before Bill Barron's came out grabbing the belt, just casually grabbing it, and announced that Yang and Caprice will face off, should be Rave and Caprice, should face off a freedom fight in a ladder match for the title. So, yeah, we're going to get a, a ladder match with the belts hanging up from the ceiling at Freedom Fight, which is a great payoff to this whole belt-stealing angle. 
You know, put this thing up in the ladder match and let's see what happens. So there you go. Nancy gets sinister minister of Skyden and Rip Michaels for a wild promo somewhere in the dark. Minister's talking shit. Then the trunk of his car opens up with the now Lost Boys getting out of it. And then fire starts shooting up from the ground. Yeah, Jeff, this is a, a really good piece of business here. Yeah, this was the introduction of the Lost Boys. And uh, we had last seen, you know, the Coles put them in the trunk of a car. So we had them pop out of the car trunk with Jimmy, which, you know, a little bit of continuity there. And uh, we found a lot of interesting ways to set stuff on fire at the end of Jimmy's promos without giving away how we were doing it. And uh, that was another example of that, that that looked great. You're like, oh, where'd that fire come from? Yeah, it just come out of nowhere. Absolutely. So then Blackout's then shown scoping up Bill Barron's car, trying to find the belt before cutting a promo on TNT in their match at Freedom Fight. Homicide shows a great fire here before Caprice Coleman starts singing Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. The alarm then goes off on the car, and they got too, as they got too close, they all run away, which is hilarious. Highly entertaining, Dan, to watch this. Yeah, these guys had a lot of great chemistry together. Uh, Homicide, now Murder One, uh, you know, it was just a great promo and a great voice. And of course, uh, Pr- Coleman had been known as a great promo, and kind of that's why he was placed in the leadership role of the group. But uh, Homicide really showed out here, uh, or Murder One really showed out with his promo skills in this promo. And I don't remember whose idea it was for them to be breaking into Bill's car and the alarm go off. Um, I I don't know who to credit that to, and I'm sure multiple people might try to claim credit for it, but it was fucking awesome. It was a great promo. Yeah. Citizen Minister's out next in the ring. He calls out his newest members of his Lost Souls, which, of course, is Lost Boys, and this is the formal announcement of their new gimmick. And, uh, Jeff, you can see that the crowd was really into this. They see these guys who have been there, as you know, in their different personas, and here they are in this gimmick. I mean, yeah, this is good, good to see the fans were invested in it and wanted to see these guys succeed. And I think the fact that they were, you know, creepy, cool kids, you know, kind of resonated. Like, here's these weirdos, you know, like, uh, it's hard for someone like that to fit in in a town like Cornelia, Georgia. So for people to see a team like that, I think those people got to go, hey, those, they're us, you know, like um, Dan's eventual wife was a huge fan of the Lost Boys. Well, there you go. I mean, it, they definitely attracted a female demographic. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of talent wild side attracting female demographics at that time. There's a, a lot of young guys, you know, good looking guys, athletic, you know, good bodies. Yeah, I mean, wild side definitely had their share at this point in time. Absolutely. All right, speaking of, Jimmy Rebka promo next, climbing the ladder, hyping up his match with Caprice at Freedom Fight, and Jimmy's attire was so 2001. Yes, he looked like he just, uh, <laughs> he looked like John Mayer in a way <laughs> from like the early 2000s. He had, he had, uh, his, uh, his, like his, uh, pattern shirt on, like khaki shorts, you know, hat turned backwards and stuff like that. I mean, he just, he he dressed like a kid his age, you know, and yeah, he was, and he was pretty good at cutting his promo here too. I thought this promo was great. I remember shooting it, you know, and uh, 
Jimmy just nailing it, you know, because he was nervous. He had not done much talking or anything. And uh, I remember, man, he nailed this thing. And then, you know, going back and rewatching it, I was like, yeah, this was really good. I mean, because that was his first time talking on TV, I'm yes. pretty sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, he delivered. Absolutely. All right, now we get the main event. Air Paris, honestly, they just told her suicidal tendencies. Yes, all three suicidal tendencies. Adam, Jason, and John. Bayface jumped the heels. They were walking to the ring, and they brawled over the building at the jump. It's a hell of a damn match with everyone diving all over the place, and it's exactly the type of match you want from these guys. Jeff even got his, his as well as he ate a clothesline from Honest, which popped the crowd. Styles get the Styles clash on Adam and had the win, but Justice would come out, and Paris and Styles took huge bumps for him off the top rope before Honest would get his shot. And he had Justice reeling before trying to slam him, which failed. Bailey then gets on the mic saying he was going to let them live another week before war games. Before Justice grabbed the mic and talked about being the dominant force on Wild Side as Bailey gets his shots in on the fallen baby faces. And uh, Jeff, this was a hell of a match to, you know, have on the, your, 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 your go home TV show for the, for Freedom Fight and just, just really strong stuff. I don't know that we ever had a better go-home match for a big show than this match. I mean, it's so red hot. It starts with them fighting all over the building. They finally get it under control, and we start to have a match, and, and they have this great match. And then we haven't announced that Justice is the fourth member of our team, and he shows up out there, and we just slaughter the baby faces and leave them laying, talking about war games. By God, be here next week in the cage. I mean, it's it's pretty close to perfect. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you're on the call here and all this stuff going on. Well, what were your thoughts on all this as it played out? Yeah, it was one of those moments you knew was special as it was happening. And then when the show was over and we went back to Steve's or Jeff's, I'm not sure where we were at this point after the shows, but we would go back and watch it. And then you knew, uh, oh, it's even more special than I thought it was that this is just fucking fantastic. Man, I must have watched this match 40 times after we got it edited and put together while we were in the process of editing it. Like, it just blew my mind then. It blows my mind now. It may... Uh, it's not better than that War Games match, but it's it's close. It, it's right up there on the level. It's just fucking fantastic. But, hey, I mean, if this is good or both, it doesn't matter because it's all, it's all great no matter what. So, yeah, tremendous way to... Uh, to end the TV before the big night. And let's talk about Freedom Fight 2001, which you can watch the whole show on IWTV as well as all the other TV shows we talked about here. The show starts with Air Paris, Onyx, AJ Styles, there in the ring saying that David Flair was supposed to be their mystery partner, but he couldn't be their partner because he was signed with WWF and that they would go it alone. Bill Berenson comes out and says he doesn't think the match should go on this way, which got which he got booed. Then Jeff G. Bailey showed up saying the blood would be flowing and the elite would be bathing in it. Bailey said there would be a war games no matter what anyone said and that no one could stop it. Air Paris asked Bailey if the blood on the floor would be from Bailey removing his tampon between his legs, which popped the crowd. Barons would then announce that if Justice Submitter surrendered in war games, he would lose his title. So now we have that extra added stipulation. But David Flair is what we're going to talk about here. All right. 
Jeff, was David Flair supposed to be the mystery partner? As far as my recollection goes, absolutely yes. Ask Dan. Dan, what was the feeling like when that was uh, when it was announced that he was not going to be there and he was going to go to WF? It was very deflating. I I'm trying to remember when we found out. I don't think you know. Of course, on the show it's presented like we just found out. <laughs> That's not what happened. But we found out, if I recall, within a few days of the show. So we had to vamp and as often happens when you have to call an audible uh you're going on a reactionary type of thing and sometimes you make the right call sometimes you make the wrong call it's all safe for now continue was there any thoughts of bringing someone else in to be a mission partner mm, no i i mean not like once once the other thing was decided on, you yeah. know, what happened ultimately, yeah. then no, like that was like Steve was married to that. That's what we were going to do. Okay. All right. So, yeah, this. So what would it, what were the original plans then? If we don't have what we do have, what was originally going to happen? Do you remember? I assume a baby face finish. Because we'd gotten heat on them all the way through, but but not a title change. Yeah, you know? so Justice wouldn't have been the one. It'd been one of the other no. three. Okay, right. Probably you know probably Adam, uh, <laughs> or John. Probably Jason because he was the new guy to the group. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. All right. We'll, we'll talk I about- do want to say yeah. that. Uh, that that line that Air Paris hit about the tampon is probably one of the best lines that anybody ever came back on me with. I mean, it 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 literally left my jaw on the floor. Like I'm glad the camera wasn't on my face when he said it because I was like, "Holy shit! I can't believe he said something that good." Like I was floored by how good it was. I was like, "What a great line!" Like, yeah, the man. look on your face—you were shocked. I mean, he scorched me. It was beautiful. I mean, those those poor baby faces—they they never. You know, they only got to get over on me physically, but uh Well, it's not like it's, it's not like all three of them were known for their talking either. Right. So I mean, you know, a verbal win over me was 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 a big <laughs> feather in his cap, I'd say. Especially Frank with his deep accent, which I love <laughs> Justice making fun of him later on in the Oh, <laughs> oh man, it was perfect. Um so our first match on the show was Tank and White Trash against Delicious Dreams, Lance Dreamer and JC North. A younger, slimmer tank makes his in-ring debut. Well, technically, in-ring TV debut, I guess, here. And uh, this was worked like your standard tag match. Both teams look fine. Tank definitely carried a different vibe here than other guys in the promotion had, which is true. Trash would get a stop sign. Tank kicked it in JC's face, depending for the win. Tank then put JC away with their MO ferocious in the boot after the match. He planted his ass. <laughs> I mean, he put him in it, buddy. And, and yes, Tank... And whilst at this time, you know, is more the athletic style, we've gone away from a lot of that, the, the blood and the guts that Wildside was earlier. And Tank is here, and he's now, you know, he's going to bring back that, you know, that that type of guy here, a white trash, you know, the brawlers, just stuff like that. Because, yeah, like I said, I mean, Wildside is now becoming like a work rate promotion. 
So, but you need this. You need these types of guys uh, to get that variety. You need the violence. And oh, Tane's yeah. going to bring that, Jeff. That's for sure. Absolutely. So, good win for uh, for Tank and White Trash. All right, Wild Side Tag Title Match. The Cole Twins defending against Total Destruction. I was expecting a crazy brawl between these teams. We didn't get that as they went to a basic structure right here. Fine match, but not what I was hoping for. That's true. Total Destruction boss your finish. Badly. And one of the Coles came in with a steel chair nailing Rusty Riddle with it. As Andrew Thomas gave a fast count, allowing the Coles to retain their titles. Riddle then had to get his head shaved since so he lost the match. And Steve Martin did the honors, which had to be humiliating. The problem was, he only cut just a bit of his hair off his head. So that could have been better, too. Yeah, this whole thing was just... I don't know. Dan, it was... Go ahead, Jeff. Real quick. I was just going to say, it was strange to see it pop up on here because it wasn't promoted on the TV at all. I mean, it it had, like, maybe one mention during the whole run building up to Freedom Fight. And, I mean, this was a match that had main evented, like, two big shows before, I think. And, And here it was with a hair stip just being thrown out there as an afterthought. But yeah. that's how much the promotion had changed on top in this time period. Yeah, Dan, well, I mean, what's going on here? Why is the hair step not, not been played up? And then why is the match like it is? And why is Rusty only getting just a little bit of hair cut off his head? Man, I, I'm trying to fish for some memories of some details. I know there was a little bit of heat between the Coles and Total Destruction, like themselves. They didn't really jive with each other too well. I think the Coles are kind of tired of getting the shit kicked out of them <laughs> by Total Destruction. You know, they worked with them quite a bit up to this point. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it, uh, if it was something that was just kind of thrown together last minute because they both wanted to be on the card or if just the TV wasn't compelling. Like, I, I'm really trying to figure out why there wasn't more promotion behind it. But this is pretty much the end of the line for these guys. I'm I'm trying to think, of you know, we might see them again at Fright Night. But they're they're definitely both kind of on the way out the door, like at least you know within the next few months, I'd say. Well, well, Rusty, you know, shows up at the next TV with a bald head, so it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> so it's one of those where you just you just went ahead and shaved the rest of your head, you know, out in the, in the back or something like that. I mean. And it's quite possible he was just like, "Hey, man, I'm going to shave my head. We should put it up for a snip tonight." Yeah. Well, Okay. <laughs> he did have the great braided part of his hair to dangle like Shaska Watley. <laughs> yeah, there is that. There I is mean, that, you yeah. can't discount that now. No, you he can't. Shaska Watley. Yes, absolutely. All right, next we get TNT versus Blackout. Really solid match here. Both teams showing off, especially TNT, who are so damn good back then, doing shit that teams don't even do now. Tremendous little work rate match here. I mean, they, these guys, these four guys went out there and, you know, we talked about their first match earlier in the show, but man, they, they went out here and kicked ass in this match. So, yeah, this is, and then these teams are shining that like we've talked about. So we'll have more of them to come as uh, we move along. Next, we get the Eternal Damnation match, Burning Tables. 
Rick Michaels and Scotty Wren against Terry Knight and David Young. Start out with a great pace. Everyone was brawling and fighting. I mean, you've got dives as David Young and Nasai Moonsault. Then Wren followed with a slingshot sent on, and Michaels followed up with double clothes on top rope. Michael sets the table on fire, but no one's able to go through it for Andrew Thomas orders it put out. And Andrew Thomas is wearing <laughs> a whatever type of protective suit was here, trying to make sure he didn't catch on fire. After more brawling, we get another flaming table that no one went through. Although Terry and I put Rip Michael's face in the fire. We get more crazy brawling before Rip Michaels rips off the wild side sign and jumps off the top of the stage, putting Young through a table, although that one wasn't on fire. Steve Martin would then light a table up in the ring. As Scotty Wren was on the top rope, but Terry Knight would go through the flaming table, as Wren countered, and was still on fire as he went into the crowd where he got extinguished in a fucking crazy spot. My God. The match ended at that moment as the crowd went nuts. The Cole Twins would attack Wren after the match, but the loss of was run out as the Wild Brawl started up, and even Steve Martin got punched by Wren. Martin got pissed, fired Wren after the match as the fans chanted bullshit, so Wren grabbed Martin, threw him into the ring, as the crowd was begging him to take Martin out, and he did with the Psycho Slam. What a fucking segment this was, Jeff. I mean, Terry Knight was on fire, people. His back was on fire. <laughs> Describe the, that. The, the choice to use the rubbing alcohol instead of lighter fluid is one of those things that I still question to this day because my God, they pour that rubbing alcohol on that table and they light that table on fire. And two minutes later, that table is still burning. Unlike lighter fluid, which tends to go out, especially when somebody lands on it. But poor Terry Knight did not land in lighter fluid. He landed in the rub and alcohol, and he had those spandex trunks on that caught on fire. His back caught on. I mean, it was it was horrible. I mean, it's just it's horrifying. He is on fire and running for his life. Dan, I mean, announcing this. I mean, what were you thinking when you saw this happen? That. <laughs> something really bad was about to happen that I was about to see a motherfucker die in front of me. And in many cases, um, so there was a big argument before the show as if they should use rubbing alcohol or lighter fluid. And I don't remember who was on what side. And to this day, both Bill and Steve claimed that they were the one that said it should be lighter fluid and that the other said it should be rubbing alcohol. So I don't know what, but anyway, the rubbing alcohol got used and it was clearly the wrong move. Um, Terry Knight ended up being okay. Ultimately it, it fucked him up. Like Bill actually, you know, okay, paid out of pocket a little bit to help with some of the medical costs, but he was, back wrestling a few weeks later so you know it didn't it didn't fuck him up that bad um it became known as the tk broiler incident <laughs> in the locker room and uh you know one of the reasons that we always were very hesitant when using fire it didn't stop us from doing it multiple other times but we were always hesitant and even to this day you know i'm a wrestling devil so i often get asked to use fire and i fucking hate it because it's just the most unpredictable shit ever and it never goes right so uh yeah yeah, I mean, this was quite quite the, the situation. And 
running through the fans. Maybe not the smartest thing to be doing either. But when you're on fire, I'm sure that's not in your mind. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he was thinking clearly. No. And uh, like Dan said, I mean, he had gone to the hospital and stuff, but he came by the after party that night. I remember him coming by, and it was weird because I think everybody felt so bad that nobody really said anything to him. And he was kind of like, what the fuck? Why isn't anybody talking to me? But I don't think anybody knew what to say because we were all like, you know, you, you feel terrible because he got burned to where he had to go to the hospital. And, I mean, you know, you never want to see somebody have to go to the hospital. So that, that, that sucked. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it, was, it wasn't that bad. He lived. I have to ask him, I guess. He, he might still fucking be mad about it. I don't know. <laughs> he lived. I guess that's all that matters. <laughs> yes, he did. And, I mean, my God, you know. TK Broiler is a bigger part of Wild Side as AJ Styles, you know? I mean, that's that's a a staple. Everybody knows TK Broiler. <laughs> I mean, you could better believe I told Andrew, you know, like, <laughs> like and, and he knew, you know, like, oh my God, we gotta put this shit in the intro, like ASAP. So, of course, that clip remained in the intro of Wildside for, like, the rest of the time that Wildside existed. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, and, Sorry, Terry. And, and the thing is, is that, you know, you're doing this thing with Steve, and it's overshadowed by the fire. I mean, Steve getting uh, beat up by Scotty. Yes. What a bump, though. What a bump he took. Yeah, absolutely. Next, we get the ladder match for the Wildside Junior Way title. Jimmy Ray defending against Caprice Coleman. Bill Barron comes up for the match and kicks all the usual suspects out of ringside, so it wouldn't be any foolishness during the match, but of course that wouldn't stop him. So TNT would run out to send them packing. Coleman and Ray put on a wild performance here, brawling in and out of the ring, doing some crazy spots with Ray bleeding like crazy. Caprice climbing a ladder out of fear was interesting to watch, and he kept trying to put Rave away so he wouldn't be scared of him, throwing him off the ladder. It would cost him in the end. Rayman ran back out, and then he tried to climb the ladder for Caprice, but Laz ran out and speared him off the ladder as the crowd went nuts. Laz then climbed the ladder before Caprice yanked him off of it, which led the Rayman and Laz brawl on the floor. Caprice then went coast to coast, drop kicking the ladder, and Jimmy Rave knocking him to the floor in a crazy ass uh. spot. Holy shit. Both men would climb the ladder trying to get the belt, and they fell off of the belt going flying to the floor. So it's a race to the floor that Rave would win. The crowd went wild. After the match, Coleman gave the belt to Rave in a matter of respect. Awesome. Awesome fucking match, Dan. Yeah, man. You love it when the talent is so invested in this, because this is also some of the stuff that came from kind of the me and Jeff shooting ideas and like the talent also pitching ideas in this time. Because, you know, like I said, it was like Bill and Steve were kind of signing off on on ideas that other people had, but like they were busy with other shit. So there was a lot of really fresh, creative stuff coming. And a lot of this also came from the talent. And I believe the idea to actually do a ladder match, or at least uh, in part 
was Jimmy and Caprice's idea because they wanted to be able to to do something like that. These things weren't done all the time on the indies in 2001, especially in the South. You know, you were lucky to see a fat motherfucker put on a fucking 15 minute chin lock, you know, and this son of a bitch still has a mullet in 2001. I mean, that's the kind of shit that you would see in wrestling in the South most of the time. Mm-hmm. So to see something like this, holy shit, we were blessed. These guys were such special talents then. Uh, and all throughout their careers, they, they even, be, you know, became great it, even more than this, but this, you know, both young, both hungry, such a special, awesome kick-ass match. Um, Jeff, um, yeah, that the Caprice Coleman, his Coast Coast drop kiss. Good God, I mean, he was, oh. he he was fantastic in this era. Jimmy's coming into his own. What a great feud! Yeah, this this whole thing was something special. I mean, Jimmy got that big color. I mean, I if somebody explained it to me and said, "There's this part where Caprice is scared to climb up the ladder because he's afraid of heights," I would think. Uh, that sounds kind of dumb, but he did it so well, so believably that, that you totally buy that he's afraid, like, like he would go halfway up and be like, ah, and I go down and stomp on Jimmy some more and then go back. I mean, I really enjoyed the storytelling aspect of the match when, uh, I wasn't quite so sure I would with, with, you know, it's the silly thing of him being afraid of heights, but uh, I, I thought they, they pulled it off really well and it was really enjoyable. I think he was, I don't know if it was being afraid of heights as much as he was afraid that Jimmy was going to pull him off the ladder. You know, he was always, cause he's looking down and you climb up to see if Jimmy was going to pull him off. I think he was scared of being yanked off the ladder more than he's scared of climbing the ladder. So that, that adds like a different level of psychology to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, War Games. Jason Cross, Adam Jacobs, I should say uh, Justice, and John Phoenix went against Air Paris, Onyx, and AJ Styles. We had a coin toss for the match. Jetty Bailey and Bill Barons. Bailey won naturally. Shocking. Styles and Jacobs started the match. They went back and forth till Justice was the next man in the cage. Kind of surprisingly because I thought he should have been the last guy in the cage, but that's another story. Justice runs well for a couple minutes before Onyx becomes the next man in the cage. He's a house of fire, hitting a big power slam on Justice, which he tried to do those show, the TV table before and didn't do, but he does it here. And then on Jacobs, Jason Cross would go in the cage next, and the heels are in full control now, just whipping ass. Air Paris comes in next, swinging a chair like a motherfucker, just nailing dudes in the heads point blank. Man, he's swinging them. Cross would go for a shooting star ledge on top rope and missed. Then AJ climbed the cage, almost fell off. Before hitting a super sunset flip on Justice, which got the building shaking. You want to talk about a spot? Oh my Whew. God, man! Uh, John Phoenix in the cage next, and then the match is complete. That's a numbers game. Really hurt the baby faces here. But then Dan Wilson would get a note announcing a four participant. Ended up being the returning Stone Mountain, which popped the house. Mountain near the cage threw down suicidal tendencies. We're going toe to toe with Justice. But then he turned heel. Throwing Styles and Paris to the cage, then dropping Onyx. Jeff entered the cage as a major beatdown now. Prazek and Wilson were just bewildered at what was going on here. With Wilson calling it, in quote, a goddamn outrage. 
Bailey then said this was the end of Paris Styles and Austin's careers. As guys tried to climb the cage, we got knocked off by Bailey. All right, Dan, I'll go to you first. Um, yeah, this is no one of those moments when you guys on commentary may help make this you know even better than what it was with the selling of of Mountain doing this unspeakable thing of turning heel and. Yeah, this was a this is a tremendous spectacle here. This war game. So, what are your thoughts on everything? Oh my God! Yeah, I mean, it was the first war games I ever got to call, so that was special in and of itself. That it had all of this special talent that we had built up over the last few months, and seeing them just really go balls to the wall and trying to hype this matchup. We were here. They delivered the goods in the ring. Um, you know, it might as well have been the main event of WrestleMania to me as a commentator at the time. I was trying to sell it like it was that important. And Mountain Turning Heel was a big event in and of itself. Unfortunately, as we, we find it goes absolutely nowhere. Um, I, you know, in hindsight, it was probably the wrong move, but that was a, a big thing that uh, it was actually Steve that had come up with the idea that, oh, we're going to make Stone Mountain injustice. We're going to reveal that they're brothers, which is pretty grown worthy at this uh, point. But, it's, you know, like <laughs> that was going to be the big plan. And so Mountain was going to turn heel and they were going to be this unstoppable monster tag team. Well, against, you know, I don't know who he planned on feuding them with, I guess, AJ and Onyx or whatever. But, like, then you have suicidal tendencies. It was bloated. It was too fucking much. It was unnecessary. No need to turn mountain. That being said, like, as a moment, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, it definitely is. And, uh, Jeff, you're there for the whole whole shebang here. Uh, What are your memories of, of all this going down? All right, well. This is going to be a little lengthy because this, this was the first war games. I mean, so there was a level of excitement that that was absolutely unmatched by any show that we had had prior to this show. I mean, emotions were running hot on everything. So we're trying to put the thing together. And of course, my thing is everybody in the match is going to bleed everybody's going to bleed. Bill's idea is two people are going to bleed. This would become a running story for every war games we had in the building, but this was the first one. And there's all this arguing about who's going to bleed and what's, what's going to happen. And uh, I'm going to tell the story. I probably shouldn't, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, we're, we're in the, the locker room and we're, we're talking about who all's getting the color and stuff. And AJ's going to get color. He doesn't have a problem with it but he's worried about somebody else's blood in the match getting on him. He doesn't want their blood on him. And I, I said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And AJ jumped off the desk and like grabbed me by my collar and put me up against the door. Like, like, like grabbed me. And I was like, uh, are you going to hit me? And he just, no. And like, let go and went back and just sat down on the desk. But he got so, I mean, like, everybody's emotions were hot as fire. I mean, and um, basically one, two, three, four, five. The only people who didn't get color were Phoenix and Onyx, who never got color in the building ever. That was their thing. They didn't do it, but everybody else did. 
And, uh, man, it was, it was such a war for that. And then, uh, the thing with mountain, cause we didn't really have an out. And like Dan said, Steve was in love with these, these guys being brothers. And, uh, he had sold me on it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend now that I hated it. Then I was like, okay, cool. I'll make it work. It'll be great. Um, it never happened. I don't think mountain ever came back to the building once after all this happened. And, uh, gosh, it really pulled the rug out on all of that. But as a moment, as an event, as the first war games in the building, the building was packed. We had people standing against the wall. Um, yeah, it was a great, great night. Um, it's a shame that, uh, but at the end of the day, looking back, we probably would have done some stuff dumber than fucking Kane and the undertaker with them as brothers. So it might be a blessing that that never happened. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with, with situations like this, where you do this huge angle and it's on your major show, but then you don't follow through on it. Um, for whatever reasons. And, you know, luckily it didn't have an effect on wild side per se, but I mean, that's definitely not what you want to do. And I mean, like I said, no, I mean, we were fully invested in the brothers thing. I mean, that's what we were going forward with. And I mean, as Dan mentioned, it, it, it would kind of bump suicidal tendencies down. And I, I don't know what the plans were for it, but my God, you know, Steve was enamored with these two big monsters being brothers and the stories we could tell from that. So uh, that's the road we were headed down. Yeah. Um, and what whatever happens to Stone Mountain? Uh, Dan, do you have any idea exactly what actually happened? I just, I know he just wasn't there anymore. I don't even remember um, but the fallout. Yeah, he was just in and out a lot. Like, uh, you know, during this time, he he, he was going to come back. And then I, I don't know what happened, if it was a personal thing or if he got hurt whatever he disappeared again after this and then he does come back like a year or two later and does a couple of you know lengthy programs with iceberg uh you know he does some stuff later on in wild side with short hair but um but yeah this is the last we see of him for quite a while hmm. interesting all right, so now let's go to July 4th on the Wild Side website, where it's mentioned that Rick Michaels, AJ Styles, and Onyx joined several of the Young Lions from Turnbuckle Championship Wrestling backstage at the WF tapings in Atlanta on Monday night, July 9th at Phil's Arena. Which leads to this. And this is Bill Barron's on commentary. Just as an aside, I think Georgia wrestling fans are pretty lucky as they have at least two strong independent promotions with quality live events throughout the state every week of the year. So whether you're a fan of TCW, Dusty Rhodes, or NBA Wildside, or both, try to get out and experience these live events. And the great thing about Wildside and TCW is that there's none of that petty feuding running against each other that plays other areas. Dusty Rhodes promised over a year ago in a conversation with me that there are plenty of towns and buildings, and there was no reason for TCW and Wildside to run where the other's running successfully. And to date, that's the way it is. When I told him we were established in Athens, Georgia, he avoided Athens. And we avoided areas he's established. Dusty Rhodes is a man of his word, and we here at Wildside live up to our promises, too. And that's good news for Georgia wrestling fans. When there was an effort to regulate wrestling, TCW and Wildside joined together to fight. Sure, TCW and Wildside offer different product shows, and yes, there is and should be a healthy, competitive spirit 
but that's good for the fans and good for the state of professional wrestling in Georgia. We here at Wildside wish Dusty Rhodes at TCW nothing but great success, and we are sure that they wish the same for us. See you in the matches, Bill Barons. Well, that's nice, because in Georgia wrestling, <laughs> you don't always get that with uh, the promoters uh, having some type of little arrangement or whatever and having a peaceful relationship. Because God knows, in Georgia wrestling over the over the years, there's been a lot of drama between the promoters. Good Lord of mercy. But uh, I guess this answers my question. I've always wondered why Wildside never ran my neck of the woods, because Dusty was running my neck of the woods. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, Bill and Dusty had a, a really good relationship, which, of course, benefited us greatly because we got to have Dusty Rhodes on a couple of our shows down the road. So, uh, yeah, love that. Absolutely. All right. The July 6th TV show was a Freedom Fight recap show. And uh, I have a, a note here to ask Jeff and Dan about Steve Martin's promo on the NWA. Dan, I'm going to go to you first. So talk about what, what Steve was uh, going with here when he was making his NBA promo. Was that the one where he's like going nuts about us being the number two promotion and how the NWA sucks? That, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I, I might've been up going to the pisser when that was on. Cause I, I don't remember the specific verbiage, but I remember it happening um, and I remember it being uh, a sore spot for Bill a little bit, if I recall. Uh, that's about all I've got. Jeff seemed like he had some thoughts on it. Jeff? Um, well, I thought Steve was really good in the promo. I mean, his fire was, was strong. I he mean, believed he was, what he was saying. <laughs> he was definitely feeling himself. No doubt about it. Um, again, that was Steve, you know, leading with this number two and saying – hey, we're number two, and uh, making a huge deal out of it, which was fine as a promoter for him to do. Um, I, I, you know, again, you know, we're number two, but we uh, we have $40 envelopes as opposed to the millionaires at number one. But okay, we're number two, cool, and something. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought, uh, you know, that was Steve basically saying, okay, I'm going to do my thing here without Jeff. I'm going to have my own guys and I'm going to tell my own stories and nobody's going to tell me shit. And that's what that promo was. Pretty much. Yeah. All right, and, and Jeff, you do a promo with Stone Mountain and Justice at the War Games there on TV, saying that he brought you brought Mountain in the Wild Side, and now he's back home. Mountain, they talked about he and Justice are going to rule the world. That Jeff was in ecstasy. Oh, you you look like you were in heaven with those two big. Oh my god! Look at those two big motherfuckers. I mean, you know, <laughs> I, I ain't gonna lie and say I didn't love having me a big monster to pound on people, and here I had two of them. So yeah, I was. I was thinking we were about to do something great. Little did I know <laughs> we were still going to do some great stuff, but it wasn't with those two. There's going to be fucking Adam and fucking Justice as the tag team out there killing it. And 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 and, and this is the uh, promo where Justice does the Air Paris impersonation. <laughs> hey, I'm Air Paris. <laughs> so great. I laughed my ass off at that one. And, and, and man. Justice was he about other guys coming to their own. That dude was coming to his own as a character. 
It, it was promos and charisma at this point in time. He was really getting going. Yeah, he had had that little knee injury from having some match with some garbage wrestler somewhere, maybe in Nashville. And I mean, I just, I, I let him have it. Like, dude, you've got to take care of yourself. You can't get hurt out here with these bums and stuff. Like start <laughs> wrestling good people, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and man, from that point forward, he just, he just got better and better every time he was there. Absolutely. All right, uh, TV taping. We'll talk about these as they aired on uh, July 7th at the, at the arena. Crossover Cajun Kid. Persephone over Alexis Lurie. Not aired on TV, but Alexis Lurie, of course, Mickey James. Samir over Slim J. Another match didn't air on TV. TNT over Delicious Dreams in a three-way. I'm going to talk more about that. Rob Williams over Otto's Fonts. Jimmy Raven over Adam Jacobs, Caprice over Laz by DQ, and Blackout and David Young over the Lost Boys and Ray Michaels, and Adam Jacobs and Justice over AJ Styles and Onyx. Again, we'll talk more about that on the TV dates. All right, July 10th. This was on the uh, Wild Side website. Last night at Phil Serena, Atlanta, Georgia, AJ Styles and Ray Michaels had one of the best, if not the best, WF Dark match I've had the pleasure of witnessing. The pacing was perfect, as was the execution. AJ won the match after using the Styles Clash to set up the shooting Styles Press. But who won and who lost this match was not important. What was important was the way those superstars like Triple H, Steven Regal, and Shane Helms went out of the way to help both men have a better match, and their advice was around the mark. The WF locker room was like that. When Romeo Bliss had WF match, it was Raven who helped. Every time I'm in a WF backstage area, I'll come away and press. This time was no different. I was joined backstage by this, t- this time by Dan the Dragon Wilson, Jeff G. Bailey, and Steve Prezak. Along, uh, in backstage, Onyx announces Kyle McNeely, his real name, had a unique challenge of wrestling Ming for the Heat Jack tapings, and did as good as anyone could in that situation, and as always was a complete pro. Thanks to, thank you to the fans who chanted for and support AJ, Rick, and Onyx. There was even an NCW chant. Mr. Wildside would have been pleased. I know the wrestlers appreciated it. The joke circulating last night was that somebody blew up Phil Serena during Raw, the wrestling business would end. There were that many wrestlers backstage. I never counted, but I surprised, I'd be surprised if less than 100, 150 wrestlers were there. Just amazing. Onyx, Michaels, and Styles will be in Birmingham tonight for SmackDown tapings. Bill Barons. All right, but if you were backstage for all this, uh, this uh, extravaganza, Jeff, I'll go to you first. What was it like being there for all this? It was great. It was a lot of fun. That was our first time being backstage at Raw, getting to eat that delicious catering, <laughs> getting to meet everybody, getting to hang out, getting to be part of stuff. Um, the thing I remember vividly is the show being about to start and looking around and seeing everybody putting their fingers in their ears. And I was like, what's this? And then those fireworks boom, 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 started going off. And, and I knew why that shit was ridiculously loud. I'm sure you've probably been to a raw before. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it was just loud as hell. Um, and, yeah, and, like, and, and if you're sitting in ringside, you feel it too. I mean, it's like, whoa. You know? Yeah. You could feel the heat from the pyro and oh, everything. Oh my God. Yeah. And all that. So, uh, yeah, that was a great time. I remember me, Dan, and Steve went out and ate after the show, which was really cool. Um, yeah, that was a really great experience. Um, I can't remember if it was that time or another time I uh, I got to meet Jim Barnett. Jim Barnett was backstage. And, uh, 
uh, that was that was really cool because nobody was talking to him or knew who the fuck he was and he was just this old man standing there and I was like holy fuck I think that's Jim Barnett <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's definitely a guy I would I would, I would approach to talk to because good lord what I mean what a historical oh, figure yeah. in the business. I mean, good luck. God. I mean, I, I was nervous to do it and, and, and we weren't supposed to really do that, but I mean he was he was he was like really pleased that, that, that I knew who he was, I think, you know, and like he he really was 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 flattered that, you know, I was like, Oh, Jim Barnett, what a what a absolute honor and pleasure to meet you, sir. You know, because I was like, Holy shit, this is great. Oh, wow. He's like, what do you do? I said, I- I'm a manager. He goes, oh, a tough time for a manager these days. <laughs> I thought, damn, Jim Barnett's still on top of everything in the fucking wrestling <laughs> business. Like, he fucking knew. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> That's awesome. Dan, what were your thoughts of uh, hanging out at Raw backstage? So. This is a pretty legendary night. Like, there's a lot of stories that came from this night. I'll try to recall a few of them. But, you know, first of all, just getting to be backstage at WWF and treated like I was somebody was like a surrealist fuck experience for a 20-year-old who's 20 years old at this time. I got to meet Vince McMahon straight up. He just shook my hand and laughed. So Bill was like, this is my lead announcer, Dan the Dragon Wilson. And Vince shook my hand and was like, ha ha, Dan the Dragon, I like it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and like fucking crushed my hand, of course. Um, like, I have got to hang out with Stacy Keebler and Tori Wilson well, for now. quite a while hey. because uh, <laughs> Scott Hudson was doing an interview with them. And, of course, Steve was hanging out with was where Scott was, and I was hanging out with Steve, and there was that, and that was really fucking awesome. Um, there, we stumbled across the Undertaker accidentally when me and man, was it me, me and you, Jeff, or was it me and Steve? We were like exploring this catacomb area that we really weren't supposed to be in, and uh, we fucking stumbled across the Undertaker getting a massage from his wife, like up, like I posted up on a crate, and I don't think they saw I us, but that. Like, you don't that's crazy yeah and then another like x-pox saw jeff and recognized him from wild side (laughs) well wild side was a thing so yeah yeah and that was i mean my god the fact that we were treated i mean because you know we were just thrilled to be back there and i mean they're like they i mean we vince mcmahon was polite to us and shit you know i mean it was a uh, it was pretty special and x-pac watching wild side i mean that happened again like later in tna during one of his periods when he was a little um under the influence and he's um supposed to be going up the stairs for the thing and bill's you know running the thing there and he just stops to talk to bill and he's asking is iceberg still your champion bill and bill's like get up the fucking stairs sean <laughs> oh man oh that's fantastic i'm just i'm just picturing vince and 20 year old dan <laughs> he ain't lying about that handshake he tried to break your hand with that thing <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. All right, and then Comet Neely is honest his real name. 
He, he doesn't look like a Kyle McNeely, but that's his name. <laughs> that sounds like a white Irish boxer or something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, that, and the match with Ming was pretty fun. It was it aired on uh, Jacked, so uh, everybody go check that out if you can. All right, uh, Tacoa. We ain't talk about Tacoa on this show because we ain't had results or anything. But they returned to the Russellplex on that Thursday night. Big card headlined by AJ Styles and Oz versus Blackout. That's a cool sounding match. Rick and David will be in the first round Russellplex Cup tournament matches. Uh, Slim J took on Kid Cool and more, including TNT, Jimmy Ray, Crazy Train, Cooter, Mike Bittman, Lost Boys. Don't miss it. And Jimmy Ray faces Reckless U tonight in the first round of the NWA Florida Junior Tournament. That should be a great match. A good, hey, that's great for Jimmy to get yeah. start getting out there and uh, facing guys like Reckless U for God's sakes. All right, July thirteenth, TV Cross versus the Cajun Kid. Cross back on TV the first time in quite a while. Looked very impressive here. Again, like I said, Cross the dude that I mean he had a look, and Cajun Kid was you know a good squash opponent for him, and yeah, we get a, that's what we get. TNT vs. Delicious Dreams. Start off with a fast pace. TNT again shows some great double team moves, and the heels are good taking the punishment. Quite the botch, though, when Delicious Dreams took over as JC tried the hot shot Todd. Well, Lance dropped from the apron to the floor with a cutter, and Lance totally whiffed. Oof. Yeah, it ended up being just a straight hot shot as Lance trying to catch his head in the air totally missed and just went to the floor. Oh. TNT would also blow some spots, but when you're working this fast, that's going to happen. TNT hit the powder keg on Jason to win the match, and the powder keg is definitely a move that needs to be stolen today. Yeah, TNT, good God. Like I said, these guys are doing stuff 20 years ago that nobody's doing now. What a great tag team, Jeff. Great tag team. I think Dan named that move the powder keg, which I thought was just a fantastic name. Dan Dan had quite the knack for naming a lot of the guys' moves during this time frame, and uh, the powder keg was one. And it's a great-looking move, and it had a great name that really fit them as a tag team. And, uh, again, I, I, I'm so surprised by how good these guys got so fast because – None of them had been around long. And I mean, of course, they were trained by Shawn Michaels. I guess they should be good. But uh, yeah, they really, you know, came out the box delivering pretty quick here. Dan, is that true? Did you come up with a name? Yeah, I, I did. Um, I That was like my thing at the time. It was coming up with nicknames for guys and coming up with moves. And, you know, the, the AJ Styles phenomenal nickname, of course, is like the the biggest claim to fame, but I also came up with David Young's Messiah of the Spinebuster name uh, as well. Uh, and, and a bunch of the moves from that time. Sadly, I did not come up with the styles clash, but the powder keg was all me. There you go. And yeah, Tony and Todd again, everybody go rewatch them on IWTV. But ahead of their time. Next we get dynamite. Rob Williams, Gonzalo's fonts. It's interesting match. This watch, AKA the former boat up hasn't been around here in like two years. And Williams, the guy that was on the cusp of him up the roster. Final little back and forth match with Schwanz using his power game, the offset win speed game, but Williams was surprised Schwanz went inside cradle to win the match. Yeah, that kind of was a surprising finish considering, you know, the build up that, that uh, Otto had got here. But Rob had been around, and like I said, he was on that cusp, but he never quite could make it over. Damn. What were, what were your thoughts on, on this? Yeah, I think it was an attempt to restart Rob because Rob was originally in that mix of top baby faces, and I think he got hurt, 
and had to take some time off and kind of lost his momentum. And so he kind of fell out of the mix. Like he probably would have ended up in that war games if he was healthy and able to do it. But, uh, you know, he, he was not. So he's back, kind of back to the drawing board. Schwantz is a big league opponent for him to get a win over and a nice way to reintroduce him. Yeah, and uh, is Schwantz basically a replacement for Stone Mountain in a sense, Jeff, in a way? Um, Not really. I mean, he's, he's in for a little bit, and he's kind of just – hanging around I, I i would not say that he was an official replacement or an official member or anything like that he was just kind of an interstitiary character that you know popped in to do this thing that uh, he was he was not i mean he's in for a, a, a little bit of time but uh i don't think i manage him maybe like once in like a tag match or something. And uh, he, he's just uh, hooked with somebody else. He was never really part of our thing. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Then we get a title versus title match. Adam Jacobs defending the TV title against Jimmy Ray's junior heavyweight title. TV title's on the line for the first 10 minutes of the match, so this will get interesting. Ray starts off strong early, and Jacobs decides to play the stalling game, trying to run out the clock. Both men look good here, and Jacobs had a picture of a moonsault at one point for a near fall. Jeff would get involved, naturally, using the $600 Gucci shoes for rapid kicks on Ray's body on the floor. As time calls, the time calls start coming. Jacobs was definitely trying to run out the clock, but Ray would find a way to get some near falls on him. Then Bailey pulls Speedy Nelson out of the ring as TV time ran out. So the junior title was still on the line as the match continued. The rest of the match saw Jacobs taking it to Ray, but Caprice Coleman would show up, and he took the belt that Jacobs was going to use to clock Ray, leading the Ray cradling Jacobs to win the match. Coleman took the belt with him, but then came back and handed the belt back to Ray while telling him to stay the champ. Interesting match here, Jeff. Uh, we got the whole thing with the time limit and the, the Caprice thing. So, yeah, this is a match that is mainly for advancing storylines here, and but really good stuff. Yeah, I, I enjoy that right out the box with Adam as the TV champion. We immediately went to the, the TV titles only on the line for 10 minutes because, you know, Adam's heat was always so cheap and so shitty and sneaky. And, you know, so for him to, to stall out the TV time limit so he couldn't lose the title and stuff just added more to what he was as a heel and uh, I'm glad we started that right here out the box and uh, you know continued with uh, Caprice and Jimmy and uh, started Jimmy up with um, our, my guys and stuff because obviously we'll do more of that later and uh, like you said just a, a storyline advance and kind of match just to, to help a little things move forward Dan what, what were your thoughts on the, the Caprice angle here where he's uh He's not babyface. He's still a heel, but he's respecting Jimmy, but he wants to beat Jimmy. He wants Jimmy to be the champion. He wants to beat Jimmy, not Adam. What are your thoughts on how, on that type of angle? I liked it because I, I think it was one of those situations where after they they went to war in that ladder match, there's, you know, it, it's a it's a heat angle up to this point and then they they earn each other's respect. So then it becomes truly about who is the better man and not this, like, I'm going to cheat to beat you type of thing. So I like, I thought it was a nice step in evolving their angle and kind of pushing 
naturally caprice toward an eventual babyface turn, which is what we were going for. But it was eventual. It was not going to be immediate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go to the July 20th TV. Jeff and Adam Jacob start to show talking about their total domination of a wild side. Well, Jeff was, as Adam was reading some love letters sent in by a fan. Uh-oh, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is the start of Adam's first angle here, and uh, we get it off and running with these letters and stuff, because you can see he's completely invested and thrilled by these letters, and I'm trying to get his head back in the game to, to, to talk about the wrestling and then you can get more letters and stuff like that yeah. but he's just oh no no look at this look at this so uh yeah I, th- I don't know whose idea that was the uh secret admirer angle maybe dan does but it wasn't mine i wish i could take credit for it because it it turns out to be great i want to say me and bill kind of co-authored that one okay there you go and we'll have more on that on uh, the next episode of exxon Street. Uh, Caprice Coleman and Sweet Dreams are up next with Caprice thinking she used to be my girl by the OJs and he wants her back. Her being the wild side junior weight title belt. Caprice talks about how he has to protect Jimmy Ray so he can get his title back as he respects him for winning the belt on his own. But he's trying to lose the title before he can take it from him. Again, really good psychology here. Then we get to a tag team battle royal that was going on when Justice ran out and started cleaning the house on everyone while Jeff talked shit on the mic. Honest and AJ Styles didn't run out against revenge on Justice for Freedom Fight, and Adam Jacobs get beat up too before the heels ran away. About time the Bayface got some heat back. <laughs> Jeff, <laughs> good God. They've been getting yeah, the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> well, you know, the, the war games is usually where the babyfaces get their their triumph, but uh, it wasn't quite there yet. So they, they got a little piece here. Yeah. Just a little, little piece. Yeah, Justice was throwing dudes out like crazy in the Ooh. role, too. <laughs> okay. uh, Caprice Coleman against Lass. Lass gets a good kiss on Speedy Nelson right as the match starts. Then gets stepped by Sweet Dreams right in front of Speedy as he was arguing with Caprice. Dreams would interfere at will. Yeah, this is basically a handicap match. Uh, Coleman hit the, a fantastic coast-to-coast top rope drop kick on Lass. Yeah, amazing. As well as some other great-looking high spots. Prezak and Wilson were putting over Caprice's ability hard on commentary. Laz with the Britney Spear, but Sweet Dreams pulled Speedy out of the ring and then came back in where he actually hit Caprice with the Blockbuster, but Caprice came back with a thermal shock. Adam Jacobs then ran out and started attacking Caprice's Revenge of Freedom fight, prompting a DQ finish. Again, advancing the storylines, and uh, really good stuff there. Next, we get a promo in the woods with Rick Michaels and the Lost Boys, and Rick talking about sending the NWA elite straight to hell. So there's that, which leads to... Blackout and David Young against the Lost Boys and Rip Michaels. Steve Martin announced before the match he had hired Blackout for the night to do his bidding, and Andrew Thomas be the hand-picked referee. Rip Michaels doing his Gene Simmons fire-breathing tribute gimmick with something else. Yes, it was. Steve Martin joined Prezak on commentary, talking about starting NCW with Rip Michaels and David Young as part of the crew in 1997, and that Rick turned him on him a long time ago. Now he has to pay his dues now. Praise that puts over the violence and wild side currently hosts the most violent promotion around, which was interesting since it was airing in Philly, and so was Combat Zone Wrestling at the same time. <laughs> this match was solid back and forth affair and eventually broke down into a wild brawl featuring a bandage up Terry Knight running out using a steel chair on Michaels, and along with Young holding Michaels down so Steve Mark could work him over. Yeah, 
interesting segment here. I mean, the match is really good, but then you had the angle afterwards. So, uh, yeah. Um, any thoughts on this segment, Jeff, as you rewatched it? Well, this was Steve, you know, starting to cement his group and, uh, you know, his feud with Rick and whatever. And, you know, Rick getting the Lost Boys thing going and uh, his fire breathing would get a whole lot better. That mm-hmm. was a that was like little Basirion baby dragon fire out there. He would he would eventually get to the Gene Simmons level of fireball. But uh, I, I thought that one was pretty weak. Yeah. So. There's that. All right. Uh, Adam Jacobs and Justice went against Honest and AJ Styles in the main event. Face came out blazing started match. They tapped the heels. They came to the rink. Got the pressure as the match got going. The commercial break, which breaks up the flow of the match, is a comeback with all four men brawling. Styles hit a flying squirrel on Justice, but Andrew Thomas made an extremely slow count for Styles' debt Bailey, who was on the apron. Justice then choke bombed Styles, who had kicked out, but Thomas made a fast count and still declared the heels the winner. Wilson was losing his mind on commentary and said he wouldn't announce those guys as the winners. Dan, you were the star of this whole thing to me. <laughs> Your performance on commentary. I mean, you you came off as you were so genuinely outraged at, at the shenanigans that was going on in this ring. Uh, great job by you. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I was just trying to sell it, like, realistically. Nobody really instructed me to do that. I just, you know, after so long, you can only sit there and read, like, how how long can you see them fuck the baby faces over just so obviously and so blatantly without getting outraged by it was my thought. If you're, like, truly invested and you truly give a shit. So that's why I, I went nuts. And uh, I'm glad that it added to the, the moment and did not take away now real quick regarding the editing why are we joining this match in progress like this (sighs) (laughs) i don't know the editing shit that was going on here i mean sometimes it's reasonable like okay well you had all of this great stuff so you had to trim up something but you know usually what we end up seeing is that we see a lot of stuff that we didn't need to see early in the show necessary. And then we've gotten to the end and it's like, Oh shit, we're out of time. And that's. Yeah. I took the opposite approach to that where it was like, I want one commercial break in the main event. And unless there's something that needs to be removed from it, I want it to air in its entirety and I'll gut the shit out of some shitty tag match early in the show to make that happen where Steve would just show all nine minutes of some shitty tag match and then cut out some of the main event. Well, the thing, oh. the thing is, this was not a home video deal, right? This show wasn't released on home video, correct? It's a TV taping. Right. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I mean, again, there was some weird stuff going on. Yeah, it, it is. All right. July 20th. The another TV tape in the arena. Cooter Calhoun with Big Henry Haas over Sergeant Hardner. Kevin Northcutt over Dan Factor. Hey, they making their returns. Jimmy Raver over Lance Dreamer who retained the Wildside Junior title. We'll talk more about that. Lost Boys over TNT and Blackout in three way. The new Heavenly Bodies overtake a white trash. Laz over Alexis Lorraine and Persephone in three way. Cole Brothers over, went to a no contest with the Lost Boys. Dango went over J.C. North. Don Brody over Big Henry Haas. Otto Swanson Justice over Total Destruction Elimination Match. Rob Williams went to a draw with David Young and Terry Knight. A.J. Styles fought Adam Jacobs and Jason Cross to a draw. 
and New Jet made a running appearance on the show, and there was a Tim Bell tribute held prior to the show in the honor of Terry Gordy. Ed Farrar and Jeremy Borash have been booked to appear at a Wildside TV tip in August. Wildside owner Bill Barron's is producing a Before They Were Stars videotape that will be sold in England. The tape spent the run an hour and most feature footage from Wildside and the Funk CWA. Huh. So how about that? Alright, July 26th. Congratulations to J.C. Daz on his upcoming wedding and this Saturday and on July 28th the Scotty Wren on the recent birth of a baby girl. So is that why Scotty was fired by Steve Martin to give him some time off to uh, be with his new baby? That would make sense. Yeah, it would. So there you go. Alright, July 27th television. The show started with a tribute to the recently fallen Terry Gordy, which is a great touch. Yeah, Dan, you, uh, I'm sure that you had a, a major part in this. Uh, talk about Terry Bam Bam Gordy from your your town. Oh, man, Terry was always one of my heroes, you know, even as a fan, just because he was a Chattanooga native. So, you know, you always supported him. But lucky enough to get to know him a little bit before he passed away. And, uh, you know, he was on some of the early shows that I worked in the business well before even Wildside. Um, you know, got to used to running into him in town all the time. Like I would run into him at the grocery store and other places. And he would always just remember me as Gypsy Joe's nephew. And that's what he would, would refer to me as. Uh, but, but he was always cordial. You know, it was years after he had his accident. So people would always say, oh, he's slow and he's, he's messed up and blah, blah, blah. But I found that, you know, you could get a solid conversation out of Terry if you were just patient with him. He was just, he just said, you know, he, he had a hard time recalling things. But if you were patient with him, he could. And I, I got a lot of great stories from Terry and, and just had a lot of, a lot of good memories with him. Ended up befriending his son, Ray, who I uh, certainly recommended for Wildside, and uh, so you know there, there's a connection to him there, and it was it was my idea to put this bumper in, and Andrew was glad to accommodate me to uh, to put the little bumper in the show to pay tribute to Terry. And it, it, rewatching it, it's just still hard to believe he was only 40 years old when he died. God, I know, so old I am now. I mean, Fuck. well, I'm I'm older than that. So well, I know, like both of you probably are, but shit, like we're all fucking old. What the fuck? Yeah, God, mm. just sad. It's a sad situation. All right, uh, Wildside Jimmy Tana match. Jimmy Ray defending against Lance Dreamer. We got a sportsman like handshit before the match. It's kind of surprising with Dreamer. He's a heel. Mister Delicious screwed Lance up a couple times early on, which prompted Lance to argue with him on the floor, and Rave assaulted both of them. Lance get control, though, and Mr. Delicious helped when he could before Rave made a comeback. Came a hard-fought battle, which Rave would win with a fat flash cradle. I like matches like this because you get guys who aren't working together in any type of program, and they're out there just, just going out there and, and doing something, having a good match, and that's what this was. I like that type of thing, Jeff. You know, It's good. Miss South was like the masters of that back in the day, where they would... They would take guys who aren't feuding with each other and put them against each other on television as, as you know, to have a spotlight match or whatever, or maybe the further the, the, the feuds that the guys were having with other people. I like that. You don't, you don't have to work all the time with the people that you're feuding with. <laughs> wrestling. Especially if you're that. a champion. You yeah. If you're a champion, you should, you should be wrestling 
random people on the roster. Like, like here's an opportunity for Lance Dreamer. And, you know, that I love that kind of stuff as well because you don't want to beat your main programs to death. I mean, one of the things, you know, and I don't watch Raw, but I still read The Observer, and I'll see stuff like they do the same match or the same main event, like three shows in a row and stuff. And I'm just thinking... It makes no Who sense. the fuck wants to see that? You're like, killing, it's, you're it's, killing your pay-per-view. And then you're going to come back with that same match on the pay-per-view after you've beat it to death on TV. So yes. I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing anymore. I still watch the pay-per-views, but pretty much checked out on the TVs. Exactly. The Elite ran out and attacked everyone in the ring. As Jetty Bailey said, no one gave a shit about none of them. <laughs> Jeff's crew and Steve Martin's crew were all in the ring together for the first time in a long while and attacked every babyface tried to run in. Bailey demanded Bill Barron show up, which he did. Bailey would end up hitting the super kick on Bill. Then Justice Choke back bombed him in a crazy spot. Brasic and Wilson went nuts on commentary until the other babyfaces ran out and cleared the ring. Steve Martin then made matches for the rest of the night right then and there. This is a red-hot angle for sure. All right, Jeff, before we go to you. Um, Dan, the, the way this show opened was Steve Prezak and you were at the beginning of the show talking about how there were only like two matches announced for the show and everyone in the back was like nervous because they didn't know who they were supposed to work. And then this angle happens and then that's when Steve starts making the matches. So what are your thoughts on how all this played out? Oh, I thought it was cool. I, I found it like... One of the things I loved about the episodic TV that we were doing at this time was almost this, I dare say, Muppet show like <laughs> wraparound that we would do at the beginning. And, the, you know, to keep it from just being the same shit every week, we would occasionally do cool stuff like this. That, like, okay. It's chaos here. We don't know. Usually we're going to run down the matches. We don't know. That was obviously foreshadowing the fact that Jeff and Steve had planned on hijacking the show. Uh, and and that the the elite had reconciled their rift. <laughs> yeah, Jeff. Uh, I mean, what the fuck? I mean, Steve's talking shit on you and everything. And you've taken your shots here and there. And now you're all together again for some unknown reason. What the hell's going on here? It's a power struggle, and, you know, um, at the end of the day, me and Steve both see Bill as the enemy. Um, my God, I, I, I'm just going to pat myself on the back because I can and say, <laughs> outside of Chris Adams, I don't know anybody <laughs> that throws a better super kick than me. I had two <laughs> during this run of TVs that we watched for this. I forget what the other one was, but it was phenomenal as well. And this one on Bill where I throw him the mic and as he catches, oh my God, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it couldn't be time better. It's great. Um, yeah. And me and Steve are back out there together to take over the show and to fight against Bill, apparently, which I don't know where that came from or why it happened that way, but it did. And I got the super kick bill, so I wasn't complaining. And, and Bill taking taking Justice's finisher, too. I mean, good Lord. Probably yeah, Bill. Bill was a trooper. Yeah, he, 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 he knew how to get stuff over. And, I mean, he we all knew eventually it was going to be us taking that ass beating out there to get something over. Whether it was me, whether it was Dan, whether it was Bill, at some point we were going to get our ass whipped in the ring. That's what happens. That's part of the business. 
Real hot. Red angle. Red, red, red hot angle. Good shit. All right, three-way number one contender match for the Wild Side Tag Titles. Lost Boys winning its blackout in TNT. Fast-paced, very fun match here. With all three teams starting to come into their own in the ring. Andrew Thomas had a hard time keeping up, and his sweet dreams fucked up hitting Homicide by mistake along the Lost Boys win the match. TNT was pissed at how the match ended and shoved down Andrew Thomas for good measure, which led to, right immediately, Wild Side Tag Titles, the Coles defending against Lost Boys. Coles came out alone with no manager, which was interesting, and this match started up right after the previous match ended, so the Lost Boys were a little banged up. Coles beat up on the Lost Boys for a little while before Total Destruction ran in and attacked Speedy Thomas and the Coles, the Speedy Nelson, and Andrew Thomas, excuse me, and the Coles. They try to the Lost Boys win, but Speedy Nelson runs in, makes a, makes a count, but Thomas gets in the way. Then TNT runs out, and they hit a double super kick on Andrew Thomas <laughs> before sending the heels out of the ring. And that was it. Um, yeah, really, really fun uh, couple segments here. And the three-way, uh, Dan, you got the, these tag teams here. And, yeah, I mean, this is, the, there we go. This is what we, you know, we led off the show with Blackout and TNT having their first match against each other. Now we got the three hot tag teams here in a three-way, no more contender match. And, yeah, this, you know, here we go. We're off to the races with these guys now. Yeah, they, they have just a couple of, of months established this tag team division as just can't miss stuff. And any time, any combination of these guys are in the ring together, the eyes are on them. The Lost Boys have now been introduced in the mix. Uh, G-Rated, who's not in this match, but, you know, were recently also introduced into this mix of tag teams as well, sort of as a step below these guys. Uh, but they also end up turning up some great matches. But here, this particular match was outstanding. The with a- Andrew at the end finally paying off the broken arm angle and exposing his cast, like they they <laughs> super kicked the cast off. Uh, like how long has that been going? Like a full year at least. Just so, about. <laughs> uh, it's just fucking tremendous. I loved it. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, why were the Coles managerless? I thought that they hooked up with Steve. Is called Steve, and you were back together again. I don't know why Steve didn't go back out there with them that night. I mean, I wasn't going to go back out there with them. They made it clear they didn't want anything to do with me. And, uh, by God, I had four guys I wanted, and then they were still trying to push other guys towards me. And I'm thinking, Jesus, four is fucking plenty. So, yeah, I wasn't trying to go back out with the Coles again. That that was Steve's gig and why he didn't go out there i don't know <laughs> yeah who knows but a hot angle in the tv show that's for damn sure absolutely so uh yeah strong television all right and the close out july 29th on the website website effective immediately there will be no more further shows at nba rest place at tacoa georgia the most recent promoters moving out of georgia and the decision was made to concentrate on ncw arena shows a new promotion site such as the Georgia Theater in Athens, Georgia, starting August 15th at 8 p.m. Dan, what, what, what are your memories of all this situation here in uh, Lima, Tacoa? Wrestle equals plex was <laughs> no more. Um, it had ran its course, to be quite honest. The guy who ran it, um, I think his name was like Wild Bill or some bullshit. He he was somewhat of a buffoon that uh, Rick Michaels was just bilking for money. And I think, you know, he bled that turnip dry and that guy 
skip town because he probably lost everything he had running the wrestle equals flex <laughs> would be my guess yeah yeah and uh georgia theater in athens jeff uh yeah there would be some interesting shows coming up in that building in the oh future. my god i cannot wait to talk about the georgia theater in athens i remember i got everybody fired up about that because i told them all that elvis had performed there and we were going to be performing in the same building that elvis had performed at so uh everybody was particularly excited i don't know if elvis had ever performed there. <laughs> I, I would say that I knew cool people had, had performed there, and, and I got to write my name on the wall in there. So you know, you could just sit on cool. REM. <laughs> I could over the B fifty twos or whatever, but but they're not really very cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not my bag, man. Not your bag. I got you. And Jerry King Lawler scheduled to appear at the NCW Arena on Saturday, September the first. That show also be a TV taping and mark the second anniversary of NWA Wildside. Make your plans now. Well, we'll talk about that next time. Well, right. Jerry Lawler doesn't show up. Well, thanks for spoiling <laughs> that. That's it. Fucking happened. <laughs> thanks we for have spoiling a great that. Two-year anniversary show. It is a great two-year anniversary show with a lot of great matches on it, but Jerry Lawler is not one of them, unfortunately. See, I was leaving a cliffhanger where people oh, were going to well, wonder shit. if Jerry Lawler was going to be there or not. It's okay. <laughs> but anyway Shit. it's alright it's okay it's alright but anyway that's it for us on this show what a show this has been Dan a show, a show unlike any other Dan I'm going to go to you with, with plugs because uh, you got a lot going on recently so uh, plug away my friend thank you I'll try to keep it brief uh, first of all follow my horror podcast and other nefarious horror things at OG Scare on Twitter for One Good Scare Productions. Follow my personal Twitter. I have rebranded to be more easy to find. I am at Rev Dan Wilson on Twitter now. So that's Rev Dan Wilson. Go give me a follow. I am now back on the road and in the world of independent wrestling prominently in the world of deathmatch wrestling, managing the strong style psycho tank uh, for our big comeback tour. We've been in Tampa, Florida. We've been in new Atlantic city, New Jersey and Indianapolis, Indiana, all for ICW no holds barred. And we hope to return for them very soon. Keep your eyes peeled for dates where we'll be appearing. Uh, we've got a couple dates I can talk about. We will be in Canton, Georgia for Southern honor wrestling on August the 6th. Uh, we will be in Chattanooga, Tennessee for TWE wrestling on August the 21st. And we've got lots of other, cool things all across the country booked that haven't yet been announced so follow me on social media and you'll know just as soon as those are announced all right absolutely uh jeff what you got going on in the world um i still remain retired unlike <laughs> dan and tank um, you can follow me me on Twitter at Jeff G Bailey one. You can follow my YouTube channel, the NWA elite and see all my great promos. You can follow the NWA wild side YouTube channel and see all these highlights we're talking about. And of course, watch NWA wild side on IWTV. There you go. Absolutely. 
All right, guys. We thank you for uh, for being on and uh, just one hell of a show we've had here. A lot of stuff going on. Can't wait to uh, hook it up and talk about August and September of Woo. 2001. A lot going on there too. So uh, thank you as always, and for uh, Jeff and for Dan as Chris. And so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Money I see, clothes that I buy, ice that I wear, flows that I try, close your eyes, picture me rolling, sixes, money falling, chicken, honeys that swollen, the riches, knives get in ya, most critically acclaimed Pulitzer, prize winner, best storyteller, thug narrator, my style's greater, model data, big threat to a lot of you haters, commentators, ringside try, watching my paper, almost a decade, quite impressive, most of the best is in the S's, for this rap stuff that I stand for, expanding more to the big screen, Bill Gates dreams, but it seems you'd rather see me in jail. With state greens, want me off the scene fast, but good things last. Like your favorite MC, still making some mean cast. First rapper to bring a platinum black back to the projects, but you still wanna hate? Be my guest, I suggest. Money is power. I got millions of dollars on salary. Do it now. You can hate me now. I won't stop. But I won't stop now. You can't stop. Cause I can't stop now. You now. can hate me. You can hate me now. Do it I hate now. You too. But I won't stop now. Come on. Cause I can't stop now Come on